Namaste, motherfuckers. And welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 83, Dave DiDonato. Dave DiDonato, I hope I'm, I think I'm saying that right. Um, guitar player, serious guitar player, like world's longest guitar solo guitar player, an aficionado, Dave DiDonato. Um, I met him back in the early 2000s, late 90s, actually 2000s. Um, we were both writing record reviews for Punchline, and then I had an ill-advised attempt to join the Ultimate Dragons on drums. Couldn't hang. Well, I actually just pussied out, but I didn't have such a great audition either. Um, anyway, uh, Dave has been in a ton of bands in Richmond. He mentions them all in this podcast. Uh, the ones I remember are Herm and Ipecac and Ultimate Dragons and Jolly Mortals. And the Jolly Mortals just played last night. Uh, that was Monday, August 8th. And I wanted to get this up before that happened, but it didn't happen. You know, I'm heavy duty procrastinator with this thing. It's been, obviously, it's been months since the last one I posted. I think it was May, Jules Kim. And I've had a lot of adventures since then. Uh, right after the Jules Kim podcast, I went to Tunisia for a week. And uh, that was the result of just putting my finger down on a map and going wherever my finger landed. And I got to admit, I was pretty scared. <laughs> going over there um I did have some I did manage to connect with some guys that um put me in touch with their cousin who picked me up at the airport which is a good thing because I was in that airport and although I speak a little French and um you know it's just an airport like any other airport I was still starting to be like oh you know this is for real like I'm in a foreign country in North Africa an Arab country a country that's recently had a year ago anyway terrorist attacks where tourists were shot up in a museum and shot up on the beach and I'm I'm really here I'm actually here and uh this great guy uh his name is actually Muhammad Ali but uh goes by Dali picked me up at the airport and took me to where I was staying in Sidi Bou Said on the edge of Carthage and uh you know it turned out everything was was really nice there I stayed in this bed and breakfast that was run by a painter and a musician and all of the people that came through there were sort of even if they were kind of professional types, they were the kind of people that were interested in staying in the bohemian environment that he created. The guy was a chef. He uh, cooked amazing meals for me for 30 dinars, which is like 15 bucks. Had uh, a lovely niece there for me to ogle, I suppose. And, um, and I, I, I saw Roman ruins. I, I went down to the Mediterranean. It was all great. And it really, uh, I have to say, it, it gave me an appreciation for how much safety I totally take for granted. Even though nothing happened to me there that was any different than when I've been here or gone to New York City or anywhere else. And just contemplating, you know, they have just little bits of breakdown in their their infrastructure, um, their civil obedience. I mean, people just throw trash everywhere. Trash is not getting picked up like they don't really like since the revolution they're not they haven't really just figured out running the basics um i mean you know they got electricity and water you can't drink it but um there's many things that like aren't working the way they should and part of it is the people's attitude 
towards their country and whether or not it should be clean or whose responsibility that is. And there's kind of a, as I many Tunisian people I talked to said, it's a mentality. And they all said that. They used the same word and they pointed at their heads and went, mentality. <clears throat> I assume that means uh, that they don't share that mentality, but a lot of people do and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. No government's going to change it. It's just the attitude of the people. And it's pretty interesting. You know, I can't, I mean, we've been conditioned by the crying Indian in the 70s not to throw trash everywhere. At least most of us have been. I mean, the interesting thing is, I guess, when immigrants come to this country, they throw trash around just like they did in their own country. I mean, and I'm looking at you Mexican day workers who park your pickup truck at, at McDonald's, eat the McDonald's, throw the bag out the window, and the seagulls eat it and shit. Honey mustard on everybody's car. So... I guess that's a, an assumption that we take for granted that isn't necessarily an assumption everywhere else and wasn't always an assumption here. But ever since I can remember, I cannot physically throw trash on the street. I mean, I'll throw a cigarette out the window, but I won't throw it in the street. I won't throw, you know, like actual trash in the street. <clears throat> anyway, I am rambling and... Uh, I want to get this up. Dave just played last night. We had a great talk. We talked about music. We talked about life, all kinds of things. Um, I keep coming away from these conversations about music going, I really need to stop talking about it and start doing it and playing it. Um, but that is presenting as many procrastinatory difficulties as posting these podcasts. So I will stop procrastinating by running my mouth now and start this on up with Dave DiDonato. rolling yeah so david hi welcome well thank you so much for having me i'm so glad that you uh you're in town to kind of kickstart me even doing this again because i've just gotten so busy and the more busy it gets like any other thing the less you know you lose your inertia Mm -hmm. oh yeah whatever momentum yeah um i've listened to several of these and you know i'm here to set the record straight Oh yeah, <laughs> about all the all the terrible things that people have said about me. What? And uh, nobody said anything terrible. No, I don't um, let them. They call me back up later and they say, "Hey, take that shit out." <laughs> He's gonna fucking come after me with the vegan militia. Yes, I remember that. So yeah, actually, um, I do remember. I listened to him with. I'm probably gonna kind of not talk bad about people, but I probably am going to mention some people. Well, that's fine. Okay. Whatever you want to talk about. I mean, no, generally the philosophy of tantric conversation, and mm-hmm. I err on this sometimes because I get, I'm insane mm-hmm. and I get in my poopy pants, but we like to spend time on what we're for rather oh. than what we're against. Right. That's, yes. that's good. I like that. I like that. So, cause you know, whatever you put your energy into persists, what you resist mm-hmm. persists. <laughs> <clears throat> that's some AA shit right there. Oh, okay. Not that I would know. I, <laughs> I, I, you know, that's anonymous for a reason. Right, right, right. So we were just talking in the kitchen, or did you have something you wanted? No, 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 no. Um, no, no, no. Go ahead. I <laughs> was trying to think, no, I, the last, it was around the time that you were still in Ultimate Dragons, but when did... Yeah, so with that band, what happened was, um, I guess we all kind of one by one moved to Austin, uh-huh. um, and then Trivet would would quit sometimes and then rejoin <laughs> <laughs> and um but uh, 
my chronology is all messed up. See, I remember it seemed to think there's a kind of a parallel between you and him as far as I think you were more unabashedly down with metal and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. yet you left Herm kind of like you were tired of playing aggro kind of. That's that true. Yeah, and I was just tired of not having a girlfriend. That was a, <laughs> that was a big part of it, you know, and that band just wasn't, you know, the kind of band that was going to do that. Yeah. And, you know. Wasn't going to get you a girl. Right. And it wasn't going to get me, you know. It might get you a neutered Vulcan. <laughs> it almost <laughs> definitely would have would have gotten that. Um, I think I probably should have let that one play out a bit more. Because um, I like that band. I think maybe, you know, the problem was that I I had a, a difficult time with with pacing back mm-hmm. then. It, because it was just always so on, 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 you know normally bands don't practice like every night or every other night mm-hmm. and normally bands don't write a new song a week and right. play three four shows a month and all that stuff and we were doing all that um granted it was only for eight or nine months but uh you know it would have been good to have taken a little break but when you're so young and so full of energy you just think oh i can because we would practice and it'd be like oh when are we going to practice again uh tomorrow uh, okay <laughs> even though you wouldn't have a show or anything you would just practice to practice and just yeah. try to get as good as you can uh, i think that is something that may be sort of unique to this place and and that time i'm not sure but it just seems that there was a sort of uh a competition kind of mm-hmm. um to get better because between bands or between, yeah, between you guys bands. And, uh-huh. um who are the other bands that you were competing with you think if you had to well, if there were, if that was actually going on, yeah, I mean, it was all, f- it was always friendly, but mm-hmm. it was always a, a competition. You would always want to try to, you know, play a little better than your friend's band, and you know, you'd always want to like, I don't know. So yeah, it's not like it was a uh, a competition like for anything in particular. It was just like those guys were really fucking awesome last night. We got to mm-hmm. step up our game and yeah. Be as good as them. So who yeah. were the other bands? Then? Oh well, uh, a band I later up. Uh, ended up joining was a band called Ipecac. Uh-huh. Uh, I was a huge fan of theirs, and you know, I, I like watching bands that make me like want to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, if I see a band and then I go home and then I'm like, I gotta practice, and then <laughs> I practice, then you know that that's good. Uh, Ipecac, I was a big fan of. Um, Hose got cable; they were really great, but greatly way before you were in Herm. Right, uh, who Hose got cable? Yeah, that was um, like like maybe a year or two before. Really? Yeah, they were ninety. I want to say they started in ninety two. So Herm is that o- that old? Yeah, Herm was ninety five. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you remember I I wrote this thing for Punchline about human therma, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're in that it wasn't it was like a show blurb or something like that. Yeah, and, and in there was a reference to Sean having told me that you left a note on the practice space door or something <laughs> uh-huh. uh, like I'm, I don't want to play aggro music anymore or something. So that was yeah. 1998. So I thought the shit was around that time. So that, that I wrote that blurb. It was like, oh. you know, when I first started writing for punchline, like uh-huh, 98, uh-huh. 99. So I assumed the band had just, you had just left and they had just started doing human thermo. No, no. Well, what happened really was like, I, I kind of remember the timeline for this. Um, so I I left Herm in I want to say February of 1996, and then uh, 
but I told them I was like, you know, I don't want to do this, but you guys can keep doing this. I, I'm, I wrote, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote kind of the lion's share of the the material. Uh-huh. Um, you I mean, can keep playing my songs too. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so why I said I was like, you know, you can have the songs and stuff. Um, and then Sean joined, and uh, at that time, I I wasn't really familiar with any of his bands. So you guys weren't in the band at the same time, or no, you know? okay, no, no. Okay. That would have been great, though. Yeah, uh, Sean, if you're listening, well, he, w- <laughs> he will be listening. Actually, I just hung out with him in New York last Saturday. I almost I almost ran to him. I was in New York last last a uh, couple days ago, actually. And we spent uh, a whole day being nerds, uh, just w- watching YouTube videos, listening to music, playing guitar, and. Yeah, and just in the apartment the whole yeah. day, like teenagers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. I, I saw him in Seattle a couple years ago, and it's just always, always great to see mm-hmm. him. Uh, but yeah, so, so they, um, so I was like, yeah, you can have the songs and everything, and you know that's how it went for a while, and then they changed their name to Human Therma, uh, and then it's kind of a kind of a complicated story, but it's it, it might be entertaining if I can tell it correctly. So. I used to be in this band called uh, False Island, mm-hmm. and we were going to play with um, Melt Banana and Human Therma. This was going to be in um, the autumn of 1998, and they were still at that point. They were still playing a bunch of the songs that I had written, which part of me was like, "Come on, guys, you got to write some some more material," mm-hmm. <laughs> because all those songs were written in such a short amount of time. And yeah. in addition to that. Uh, I really liked the songs that they wrote. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I think Sean is like a phenomenal guitar player, mm-hmm. and and Trevor just kept getting better and better as a songwriter, and Eric Josephson, always amazing. So you know, um, I kind of wanted to be like, "Come on, guys, let's you know some more of that healthy encouragement." Yeah, kind of yeah, competition S- slash encouragement. Mm-hmm. So that that was the bill. It was Melt Banana, my band False Island, and Human Therma. So um, I think it was Marty from False Island. He um, got stranded somewhere in Pennsylvania or something. I'm not sure exactly what the story was. But anyway, the important thing is False Island could not play the show. And this was maybe three or four days ahead of time, like in front of the show happening. So I didn't want to cancel. So what I did was... I called Trivet and I called my friend John Swart, uh, John Swart, the bass player for Dry Immortals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, hey, let's do a set of Herm songs to play them before Human Therma at the Human Therma Melt Banana show. So that's what we did. In like two days, we learned an entire set of Herm songs. And then we played Herm songs before human thermal so they couldn't play those songs. no they still they, they still, still played play them, them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i'm sure the people in mount banana were really confused because they had seen human thermal i think they had toured with them now that's they, a very interesting uh stunt really because yeah. no matter how hard you tried t- two different bands can't play the same songs the same way right <laughs> yeah you know yeah so they that must have that would that's pretty meta there yeah yeah and you know i, I, I think meta. they might have been a little bit upset with me i'm not sure but you know i I just like doing stunts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Like uh, when I did the 25 hour long guitar solo thing, mm-hmm. you know, that was. Which you actually got in the Guinness Book. No, you no. Didn't? It's not in the Guinness Book of World oh. Records. Like if you Google like world's longest guitar solo, uh-huh. like right now at your computer, if you're at one, I think I'm um, the thing that comes up. Right. Uh, but 
Guinness Guinness has a bunch of weird rules like um they they would have had to have flown someone in to be a judge or in lieu of that they wanted me to they wanted me to write out the sheet music oh to the 25 hour long solo which is something you know if you're going to be the kind of person that is going to do a 25 hour long solo then you could probably also be the kind of person that would write out was it something you'd like written like that? no 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 it was all improvised there right yeah Yeah. but it was recorded so technically i could have gone back back and write the sheet music and you know i'm sure lackey to do that the what yeah (laughs) yeah but not even pay him just say this is you can have a piece of this glow Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh or i'm sure they don't they have computer programs that can do that probably where you can plug in like a wave file and it can write out the notes i would I'm say sure that sounds plausible yeah yeah but i decided it wasn't worth the work because really people use google more than they have those thick guinness books with the right. world's fattest motorcycler people or so whatever. if they do a google search for longest guitar so you're coming up i'm pretty sure yeah yeah i don't google myself that often <laughs> but i think that's what comes up not that often but every now and then yeah yeah <laughs> uh it, it it impressed my kids they were impressed by it um, you have two two daughters mm-hmm. is that right I'm, i gotta straighten out my uh, drunk kids yes my up. okay uh my older daughter uh ava is 14 my younger daughter lydian is 12 and she's named lydian is named after um the major scale with the fourth note raised a half step so she's and that's the Lydian scale. scale? Yeah, that's the Lydian uh, mode. Yeah. Mode. Yeah, you know, I was just listening to a, a podcast the other day where, um, what's his name, uh, who wrote The Wire, uh, David Chase, or I think. He, mm-hmm. went, he was just talking about that, and I commented on your um, Robert Johnson solo. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That American music, uh, starting with the blues through jazz and rock and roll and all of this, mm-hmm. is um, a, West, a, a West African musical pro- chord progression or, mm-hmm. or or melodic progression with a flatted fifth and seventh sure yeah and mm-hmm. w- but it com- but it's very much western uh, musical logic yeah that was his quote but i don't know what the fuck a flatted fifth and seventh actually is <laughs> and then i looked it up and, oh it's that devil's fifth it's of the, course right yeah right. yeah and the seventh the um <laughs> like the the flat seventh to root is uh any like stonery metal band, right? The down and now now the da 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 da. That's the seventh. So does it that group. does that apply to the actual like chord progression or the melodic progression? It's not the actual construction of a chord that would be used. That in that, that would be the melodic progression in that right. context of talking okay. about like you know going do 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 and mm, yeah. right. Um, but yeah, another thing that see I. Before it's funny. Before I learned how to play that Robert Johnson part, there are certain guitar players that um, that I I hold in a sort of regard where they're untouchable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian May from Queen is like that for me. And untouchable that you wouldn't learn one of his solos. You yeah, like I don't. I I, I may have like kind of dabbled in some of it, but you know, there's like with your Angus Youngs mm-hmm. or your Jimmy Pages or your Tony Iommi's, I would sit down in high school and learn that stuff note for note. But there's something about certain people, like uh, Brian May is one of them. Robert Johnson's probably the other, where <clears throat> they're just I I can't touch it. Right. It just you know. So only recently did I did I actually sit down and learn a little bit of Robert Johnson stuff, and I was surprised that uh, 
there's a lot of what are uh, half steps, mm-hmm. you know, which is just where you walk down fret by fret, mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of thing, which is uh, something that I've always been attracted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many like Jolly Immortal songs where it's just like half steps, half steps, just because it's sort of a jarring movement. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it has this. I mean, it it, it has this kind of a. Uh, um, romantic or I don't know it's a, it's a type of pathos yeah it, absolutely you know that, that you know just makes you feel a certain way it's like uh-huh, you uh-huh. Know, like a lot of blues uh, kind of and a lot of you know flamenco sounding stuff is mm-hmm. like you know it's a very forgive my pitchiness but you know what I mean mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, yeah. uh, it does evoke something so I'm, I'm a fan of them I have like a very glancing understanding of theory Mm. You know, like there's certain things or even just how to talk about the things that I know how to play. Yeah. You know, that's the only real point of knowing anything about theory is just to communicate because. Right. Because uh, it can be used as a crutch mm-hmm. a lot, you know, because you're like, well, I'm in the key of A. Oh, I guess I'll go up to the key of E now, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. because that's just what is done. And that's how, you know, when you hear a lot of very sort of. uh by the book type songs it's because someone read a book how to write songs right go from g to c to d literally by the book yeah exactly yeah and that's i mean you know what it i i I mean i don't call myself a musician i've played music that for me is kind of a stunt like to Mm -hmm. have played music it had been in bands like i i wanted to do it just kind of prove i could do it or say i could do it right right or whatever uh but I like I also in, like when I got into it I had learned so much about the English language through being an English major and read so many books that mm-hmm. every time I looked at a book I saw the you know the parts the moving parts that were right. in there you know the mm-hmm. theory like that somebody had taken a myth you know and then and these archetypes and then they had you know just p- fucking constructed this thing and like so it's got this skeleton and then they put some flesh on it and and, and I I just saw through that I couldn't get into the fictional dream you know, right. So I didn't want to write, you know, uh-huh. and then I, I started messing around with people playing music and I was so astonished to find myself making something that sounded like music that I just mm-hmm. wanted to stay in that astonishment. You know, yeah, I didn't yeah. ever want to get any mastery. <laughs> yeah. I just always wanted yeah. it to be like, whoops, you know, or yeah. wow. Or, yeah. You know. I um, So I, I teach guitar also. And the most difficult thing and the thing that I always tell my students is that um, is that you're going to be terrible for a while um and the key is to not get discouraged you know uh because and i think ira glass says something to this extent the uh npr guy i think mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. him yeah NPR yeah he, he does um this american life yeah. right yeah he he had he he says it better than i could but basically the the gist of it is you're going to be terrible at something for a while and it, like say for example like playing music and then you get to a point to where you hear something that you you or you play something that you find enjoyable to listen to mm-hmm. and then as soon as you can get to that point which is the most difficult hurdle to get over between you know not being a musician and being a musician mm-hmm. uh, to me that is the, really the dividing line you said you don't refer to yourself as a musician but right. as far as i'm concerned once you cross over that threshold to where you can pick up any instrument, play something, and have it sound good to you, then you're a musician. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, sometimes what you play 
for yourself that you think is good doesn't sound good to anyone else and that's okay and that's something that I was going to say that there's the part where you're terrible and then there's the part where you suck hmm. but the sucking is very subjective right you know yeah yeah um I I just think because I had a hard time dealing with that for for a long time because I would often play music that I thought was really good and then you'd be playing it in front of like a group of 25 people that just have their arms folded right. and they're waiting for another band to go on mm-hmm. you know and it's it's very disheartening mm-hmm. but eventually you just have to be like well I like it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and that's really all that matters. Yeah, well, and staying in that is tough, especially since, as you mentioned earlier, you wanted a girlfriend. You oh, know? yeah. And yeah, then yeah. you're in a band where the, there's that's not going to happen. Right. That's It's hard. Like, that's always somewhat the rationale for being in a rock band and, uh-huh. and, and performing mm-hmm. out because you just fucking play your music in the practice space. Or, that's right. Yeah. You know, there's definitely a peacock dance involved. Oh, here. Yeah. It's a mating ritual mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I'm calling upon the uh, primal forces of sex to channel through my, you know, sure. rock and roll abilities. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so you want that appreciation, but also it, there's the paradox there that you're not going to get that if that's what you're focused on. You know, you're trying mm-hmm. to please people. Right. You're not going to be authentically you. Mm-hmm. And that's really the the most original thing you can do is suck the way you suck and be good the yeah. way you're good and just be totally you because nobody could play the guitar like you. Yeah. You know. Uh, what, what is it? Real recognize real? Is that what they say? Right. You know, real and that's it's, it's so true because, you know, anytime... Uh, you do something that is authentic there will be people that will pick up on it Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's unavoidable it might be a small amount of people but there will be people and i can recognize authenticity in music that i don't like uh for example i don't like elvis costello Mm -hmm. but i know that he means it yeah i know it's authentic Uh, it's just not my personal taste Mm -hmm. um but even, you know, in the show that's coming up... Oh, I guess I'm plugging. <laughs> but on oh, Monday... Oh, yeah. The Jolly Mortals are playing at Insuboka. When yes. is that? Uh, is Monday? Monday night. I think the show starts at around 10. And it's free. Um, on the flyer, I put $9, but I was just kidding. <laughs> I used to do that a lot. I would put, like, fake information on flyers uh, and then wonder why people wouldn't show up. Take it seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some of those stunts, man, they'll fucking, uh, you know, they'll trip you up. You'll get hoisted <laughs> on your own petard. Yeah. There. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, you know, there's a Facebook invite that went out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to it, and, you know, it's easier to click on, yes, I'm going than to actually go. But yeah. at least like 100 or so people are going to be there, which I think is amazing for a band that wasn't really that terribly popular to begin with 20 plus years later. Well, I, I don't. I hate to break it to you, you know, or I don't want you to get your hopes up because mm-hmm. I got, I've looked at so many things where it says that many people are going to be there, even like a party and like there's five. Right. But let's, let's talk about the Jolly Morris because I don't know shit about mm-hmm. the, you know, like I had Dovey in here and he was talking about Yardbirds covers. Oh and yeah. Like, oh yeah. Um, I remember hearing about you guys and you were sort of mentioned in the same breath as a lot of other bands. I, I'm thinking this is early nineties. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. So, and Hose Got Cable was around then, and there oh, was yeah. like um, Math and Mulch and uh-huh, uh-huh. all of those bands. And um, But I never heard you guys, or if I did, I don't like, I don't remember it, but I assumed you were 
playing stuff like that, like art damaged Richmond riff rock with no vocals. You know? No, no, no. It's funny. Uh, we ended up, we ended up going in that direction, like towards the end, um, and it took a lot of practice and stuff to get there. Uh, but when we started, like we were, you know, we were a high school band. Mm-hmm. Like we all met in high school, uh, and it was Chris Dovey and me and uh, Sean Sutphin on drums. No, Sean Sutphin. Yeah, he was on drums, and then uh, John Swart was on bass. And you know, we were we were a high school band. We did like uh, we did Nirvana covers mm-hmm. and like and uh, like Yardbird songs with because we all kind of like the Yardbirds. Mm-hmm. Like whatever that denominator was, we would you know they had a broad appeal. The Yardbirds, they did. Yeah, plus they were the sort of spawning ground for a lot of other bands. Like absolutely, guitar players went through there. Like who was in that? Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, and uh, Clapton. Clapton, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so then we. And when we moved to Richmond, um, I'm not sure that we did it right because uh, we just kept doing what we had been doing, you know, like we had some kind of like funky songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I think we like maybe covered a Smashing Pumpkin song. Uh, you know what I mean? We we were still a high school band, but we were in the big city of, of Richmond as opposed <laughs> to Williamsburg. Uh, so, so then you were becoming a cover band, kind of like yeah know. we like we did covers and we did like some original stuff, um, and we weren't accepted into the crowd of people that I wanted us to be accepted into. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wanted uh, who was that? You know, like your your damn near Reds, right? Your first five throughs. So the first generation. The senior, we, it's almost like they've remained the senior generation of uh, mm-hmm. Richmond musicians. They're yeah. Like contemporaries of Bobst and Jim Thompson and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say in there, yeah. Okay. And, you know, I had <laughs> never I had never even heard um, bands like Slanglouse or uh, Breadwinner or Butterglove or Ladyfinger or any of those bands. I had never heard any of those bands. Um, and that was sort of what was the, like, you know the cool respected thing back then Mm -hmm. um but i had never heard them and then you know so we were playing this kind of wacky like (laughs) you know some some of the songs were kind of funky etc and then so then when we started seeing those other bands we were like whoa we need to like practice and get good and get better Mm -hmm. so we can you know i use the term compete Mm -hmm. but you know be on the same level with these other bands that we quickly grew to to really enjoy and respect uh and it it eventually i hope happened um towards the end in the last maybe six months or so of the band's existence we we did start you know getting a bit more serious with our stuff um maybe even ending up a little too serious i'm not sure but um so who all was in that band in jolly mortals uh at the end because chris Dovey, he left um in the s- summer of 1992. Mm-hmm. And then we all moved into the dorms in the, the fall of 93 or 92. And then we, you know, continued until the middle of 1994. Uh, but it was me on guitar, uh, Sean Sutphin on drums and John Swart on bass. And in the last couple months of our existence, um, Tony Brown uh, joined on second guitar. Uh. And that was sort of what I considered the, the peak 
period was was those. Last so who's months. playing on Monday? That's going to be me, uh, John, Sean, and Tony. So that the final cool. lineup. Uh, but yeah, I think we were just about getting to that point to where you know we might have been considered to be a respectable band, I guess. Uh, but I ended up quitting um, just because I think it was a little bit. Everything was just getting a little too dark mm-hmm. uh, within the band. Yeah, it just—I don't know. Like, if you listen to the songs, like, oh, your songs were getting dark. Yeah, the songs okay. were getting dark, and then, you, but the songs were a reflection of of what was going on. You know, drugs. What was it? Drugs. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was. It was a direction that I. Wasn't so what time period is this? This would have been uh, the summer, early summer of 1994. So, you know, what's interesting is I think something fucking happened in this town around then to mm-hmm. like everybody. Yeah. Because it went from being I every weekend some really positive, fun, fucking like art gallery, rock show mm-hmm. party. Like there was always some, you know, massive people meeting up somewhere it was fun it was cool it was interesting it was inspiring all of that um i remember this girl came up to me that i knew from one of my classes and said i'm thinking about moving to new york and i was like why would you do that we've got everything here it's like and it's really ours you know it's really cool Uh and then like around that time suddenly it all just went to like it's like all the clubs shut down suddenly everybody's just sitting in their house smoking weed and going nowhere won't pay five bucks to see a fucking thing that's that's right two years earlier and during a snowstorm, I went to Twisters to see Alternatives Plate and Burma Jam. Uh-huh. There was ice on the sidewalk. Like, you could barely walk without falling down. And that fucking place was packed. Yeah, yeah. Everybody uh-huh. come out on a night like that. One year later, two years later, you couldn't get people out of their house for anything. Yeah, for yeah. Show. Yeah, I think, I, I do think that there may have been uh, an element of, of drugs. And I'm speaking more about just that whole scene in general. Or a curse was placed on you. The one? A curse. A curse, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it happened to so many... It just happened as a general Paul fell over, like, everything that was going on. And Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know, I heard about friends of mine uh, getting into, like, hard drugs and some of them dying. Yeah. You know, and I... And, you know, two years before that, I was living, you know, at my parents' house in Williamsburg and, you know, <laughs> listening to Jane's Addiction and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, like... Mm-hmm. Two years later, I'm in this like city where there's all this crime, and I'm living in a basement, and it was just a lot of like darkness around. So I tried to kind of distance myself from all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this then, is the point: Jolly Mortals start getting dark, and yeah, and so um, so I ended up quitting, and I I moved out because we all lived together, and you know when it was good, it was really great because. You know, when you live in the same house with your band, um, there's a there's a sort of camaraderie mm-hmm. that comes with that, and also just in general, you know, at that time in in my life anyway, you would be, you would know people like you would be like, oh, that's um, that's Chris Vosia, the guy mm-hmm. in First Five Through. Oh, yeah, you I know like, what I mean? I love that band. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> or you know, that's. Ken Rawlings, the guy mm-hmm. from Breadwinner. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's you wouldn't be like, oh, that's the guy that works at such and such, mm-hmm. or that's that girl goes out with that guy. You know, you would know someone 
because of like what the band, band right right so that was how you were identified um but yeah so that was the nice thing about everyone living together mm-hmm. and stuff uh and in addition we all could just practice every day because i had a, a drum set set up in my room we had all the amps and everything so we would practice just about every day because you know what else were we going to do mm-hmm. like we didn't we we were underemployed right uh under educated in school <laughs> so you know what were we going to do but just play music and try to get better and and write a bunch of songs and like you guys enjoyed that process it was yeah. fun to play together and all mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. yeah it wasn't work right yeah. and it, it it ended up getting less fun at the end mm-hmm. uh, i think a lot of it was also just like i didn't recognize that at the time but i think i was just getting really depressed mm-hmm. just to you know which is something that just happens i guess uh when there are a lot of changes in your life and such, you can just get really depressed. Yeah. And, uh, well, what was there other changes besides the shit that was going on in the band? Were you going through shit? Like, well, I think a lot of it was, you know, again, speaking to two years prior being, um, you know, having the safety of living in Williamsburg at my parents' house and then living in a, a, a fairly crime ridden city at that point, um, living in a basement with cement floors like initially it's like fun and woo you know and then it's like wait a minute what am i what am i doing and you see your friends like you know graduating college or or moving forward in that and you've like dropped out of music school um it was so it was depressing Mm -hmm. and um and it it took a while to kind of get out of that is that what you came you were in music school at vcu or yeah uh I, i went to music school for i guess about a year and a half and um, I kind of I didn't take it terribly seriously because I had taught myself so much of it then that like with a lot of the theory stuff, you know, I would show up at the classes and I wouldn't take notes because they would be like C D E F, you know, or whatever. Um, it's remedial for you. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the time for me, uh, I, I felt it was remedial. I maybe had a little bit of a big head about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. so. <laughs> So it's like, oh, yeah, you're teaching me these scales. Yeah, I know these scales. I, that's what I did in high school. Instead of paying attention is I would write out fretboards and write out all the different notes. So I knew all that stuff really well. Um, but then I think part of it with going to music school was, you know, my, my, my train of thought was, okay, well, I'm going to graduate from music school. And then what am I going to do with that? You know, um, like I was worried about what kind of job I was going to get or whatever. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that getting a music degree looks a lot better on a resume than dropping out of music. Yeah. Uh, It's hard to realize that shit when you're 22. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you you know, it's just like the things that are really important to you, you're actually like, fuck anybody that would judge me for that, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know? And then you don't realize how much you actually care what those people think later on. Yeah, like there's yeah. no way to fucking forecast that. Right, right, right. When your focus is just trying to be in a band that you can be proud of and be contributing, making some kind of art, and you know, yeah. and being mm-hmm. an iconoclast and all of that. See, I thought that you would, because when I met you, I guess y- you were writing for Punchline, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was writing for Punchline. There's a few different people contributing record reviews. Yeah. So I just had it in my head that you were a humanities student and it graduated. Oh, no. GCU with you know as an English major. No, 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 like no, no, no. 
Uh, I appreciate that, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you come across as the same kind of asshole as me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you must be an English. No, yeah, no, I did, you know, I, I did like to read a lot. Mm-hmm. Do like to read a lot, I guess, when I have time now. But, you know, in high school and stuff, I, I loved reading tons. Um, so that's probably where that comes from. And I think there's definitely a connection between, you know, people that write music and write words. Yeah. You know, it's all just different frequencies. Well, some, I mean, I've, I've, heard or read somewhere that there's kind of two ways to learn music Mm -hmm. one is as language and another is as math sure yeah Mm -hmm. and i certainly use it learned it as language i I learned it the same way i learned to speak english Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like just by being around people doing it and then trying to imitate the things i heard right and i mean i basically just you know chords and things like that became grammar and sentences and mm-hmm. whatever but this, the same way that i i mean i was an english major because it came naturally yeah you know sure. not because i was like worked hard at it. yeah <laughs> I just yeah. i just am good at, at imitating shit uh-huh, uh-huh. you know uh, i can talk like a uh, educated person because i've heard educated people talk <laughs> right you know? yeah well i think also you know uh the the contrast and approaches between say you and i um, and I think people listening that are involved in this would be able to relate to one of these two schools where uh, I imagine that you probably started uh, doing bands and learning music through that, like mm-hmm. kind of as you went. Plus way older than you. Like, right. Like yeah. I was like 25 or 26. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I like started learning like I played just alone by myself in my room for a couple years before ever playing with anyone else. Mm-hmm. And um, not to say that one approach is better than the other. I think it, it's, it's very different in that when you, um, when you learn with other people, um, I think it's, it's a good uh, sort of collaborative approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other side, if you just like learn by yourself, uh, sometimes it can take a bit to rein you in a mm-hmm. little because you're just so all over the place uh, because you're, you know, you've been training for the fight for so long and then you right. get in the ring and it's just like you're... Well, plus madman. it's like the other people won't, don't conform to your will yeah. the way that your hands do, you know? Right. It's like, yeah. And I see a lot of people get frustrated with that, you mm-hmm. know, that like they needed all, everybody to be in tune and everything to be just so in yeah. order to enjoy the experience. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, I came at it just from like, wow, it's awesome to be in a room with people making noise. So yeah. I was like very ma- much a naive and I remained one pretty mm-hmm. much. But, and, and these aren't like better or worse ways to do it. It's just, yeah. I think it's cool for people, anybody listening to this or anybody, I didn't know that you could choose the way that you play music like that uh-huh. like and and it was actually i wasn't a punk rock fan until i started playing music right and then i went oh these guys all did that uh-huh. you know they got like yeah. better while they were doing it yeah some of them really became badasses like yeah the germs but, yeah that's a great example of the germs some people really became objectively good musicians mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they did not wait until they had that to start playing right, they, they, right. it was half stunt half art installation mm-hmm. it was partly about music they obviously loved music and they wanted to play it but they they had the audacity to get out there and do it before yeah. it, it would be recognizable as music to yeah else. <laughs> so that really i really started getting into that when i was authorizing me to do 
what I want to do because I was way too late to be good at this <laughs> yeah. before. But that didn't stop anybody in New York. It's like, you know, you just get a band together. And yeah. If you look good, you could play. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think uh, Greg Ginn was, I think, a little bit older when he started learning how to play mm-hmm. guitar. I want to say he was 22, but I'm sure I'm wrong. But he was later than, you know, 14 or 15, right, which right. Tends, to be the, uh, tends to be the standard. But, you know, another thing to, to that approach of, you know, kind of learning in front of people is that um, I think it's very important to have some sort of a rapport with your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very encouraging when you play, you know, your music in front of people to have them respond positively to it. It's it, it's very encouraging and inspiring, and it makes you want to go home and then write better songs, right. you know, so that more people can can like them. Uh, I I used to be one of those people, I guess, that was like, I don't care what anybody thinks. <laughs> but, like, that's just so, it's so not true. It's heartbreaking to um, to play music in front of, like, an empty room. Or, it is. You know, yeah, I can, or in I front can of attest people that, to that. Yeah. <laughs> or, or watch them leave yeah. when you start playing. Or back up from the stage and stand there mystified. Yeah. <laughs> like, with their it's, jaws hanging open, like, with Okay, it's to anyone that hasn't experienced it, I'm sure they've experienced the feeling of, um, say, being on a date with another person that you like that doesn't like you, mm-hmm. and you know it, and there's nothing you can do about it, but then you multiply that by however many people are in the room. It's like that yeah. much more devastating. I would take it to you're having sex with somebody, yeah. and <laughs> you're not getting them off, and right. they're just like, eh, and you get the tap. You yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. You're really into it, but they're not. Yes, it's that vulnerable too. Like you're naked. Oh, absolutely, you know? absolutely. That's a better analogy than mine. And the only reason I didn't go there is uh, just because my kids might be listening. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, they're but gonna no. find out about it soon enough. But I'm sure they wouldn't have gotten this far in if they. <laughs> um. Well, you know, that's interesting that you say it is definitely great to get positive. Um, reinforcement. Mm-hmm. I was when I was talking to Sean this weekend and. And, you know, everybody likes to talk shit about the the way shit is in this town. I mean, uh-huh. you have the old guard, you know, you've got, and then there's suddenly there's this whole wave of people that are not even in, in any relation to that, that have come to uh-huh. this town that have a music scene going on. Yeah, that's totally separate, yeah. And, um, you know, no, I never got positive feedback from my peers that I already knew mm-hmm. from, like, Punchline and whatever else when I was playing in the Devil Tones. Yeah. And... I played shows and like had people resoundingly be like, "You suck! Like uh-huh. you guys are suck live out loud. You should not be playing guitar solos. All of that." And I was, as much as that was, I don't know, humiliating or embarrassing or whatever. It it really inc- it inspired me, encouraged mm-hmm. me, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, fuck Richmond anyway, uh-huh. you know." And it wasn't like I thought, "Oh, we're gonna go somewhere else like Valhalla and they're gonna love us." But uh-huh. I just didn't. I I actually cross this of like well you know what i like it i like doing it and i like and i don't think these guys are gonna let me stop uh-huh. anyway the band that i was in it was kind of like right. a prison gang uh-huh. but um but like i was really i was telling sean i was really inspired by not being liked and this happened because sean and i were like hanging out listening there's some youtube videos of that stuff and yeah. he's like i had no idea it was this good uh-huh. like, yeah <laughs> you didn't come after that first Nobody came back after the, f- oh, the first couple of shows right, we played. Okay, yeah, but we played a lot of different places, and you know, from playing with Anti Scene and the and uh, what's Majig- what were they calling um, what was left of Gigi Allen, the Murder Junkies. Oh, sure, we played okay. with them, and mm-hmm. lots of other of these kind of like you know not so 
pretty friendly kind of uh-huh. rock and punk bands. And, yeah. But it's equally like because there's a lot of people in this town that have had bands and they have such a repute. They're such nice people and they're so well liked. Mm-hmm. They get a band together and they have a show and everybody comes. Right. And then they all say they like it. Yeah. But they don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> they, like, they like them. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and there's been numerous examples of that. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. trying to talk shit, but I've, you know, like Small Town Superstar did not go over that well, but there are always a lot of people there. Yeah. You know, uh, well, I think that, you know, generally the way that stuff works, in, in my experience, what I've seen is, you know, you start a band and your first show or two, uh, you know, your friends come, right? Your friends come, they want to be supportive and stuff. And then, you know, your next couple shows, the amount of friends that, you know, were at the first one will will decline some because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, we saw your band, it's fine. Uh, but then they'll be replaced by um, by other people, like maybe friends of friends or people that are into that style or whatever. And eventually you want to get to the point to where, you know, you're okay with the fact that your friends aren't coming to the shows anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just a whole bunch of people that you don't know. That is a really nice thing is to, to play in front of a bunch yeah. of people that you don't know. You know, They don't have to like you. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in that band, J Church, um, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> uh, so it was in most of our shows. Where was we that? In. Here? Or? That was in Austin. Okay. Maybe we should do the timeline of your bands in Richmond and then moving to Austin. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, after I guess we've covered, you know, Jolly, Jolly Moore's, Moore's and Herm. Was Herm right after Jolly um, Moore's? No, there was Ipecac in between them. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I joined yeah. Ipecac. Um, Who was in Ipecac? Yeah. Ipecac was, it was uh, Tommy Anthony was the drummer. Um, Rob Kelshen was a guitar player. Uh, Nathan Webb played bass. And Tom Crawley was the singer. Uh, so what happened with that band was um, uh, Rob Kelshen the guitar player from Ipecac uh, was drafted to be in Avail, uh, mm-hmm. to play bass in Avail. That was in the summer of 94. And so with Ipecac, they were just like kind of left high and dry because they no longer had a guitar player. And uh, the Jolly Mortals had just broken up. And I knew Nathan, the bass player, so I was like, so if you need a guitar player... Mm. Uh, so that's how I got into that band. And that was a huge huge uh learning experience um uh, the guy nathan the bass player he went further in music school than i did so he taught me a lot of stuff that i didn't know mm-hmm. uh he taught me a lot of stuff about uh about dissonance uh he introduced me to like well maybe he introduced me i'm not sure uh but we would listen to a lot of like late period black flag mm-hmm. that kind of stuff um just and just slower kind of like grindier kind of of music um but yeah the, some of the chord forms and stuff i still use to this day um just really advanced for for that time and that record that seven inch uh the one i'm not on uh is still one of my favorite favorite seven inch mm-hmm. records the, the the first ipecac record uh if anyone comes across it at any used record stores um <laughs> <laughs> get get me one and get one for yourself. It's really good. Uh, but then what happened? What label was that on? Um, Fountainhead Records. I think it was a little like a small label out of um, Philadelphia. I want to say. Uh, and then after that, we were. Um, so that was the summer '94, and 
and we were getting more and more popular. Um, I was a little self-conscious about it because I hadn't at that point written any of the songs yet. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the drummer lived in Woodbridge. So to practice, we had to like, I had to drive up there to get him, bring him back, practice, drive back, drop him off, come back home. Mm -hmm. So it was not easy. Fuck that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was not easy and easy or convenient. That would Um, really suck now. By yeah, the way too. That would be basically impossible. Right, right. Um, but there, were, like, we had a, actually a substitute drummer, uh, Eric Josephson, the drummer from Herm. Mm-hmm. That's how he and I. Well, I think that's how he and I met. Was from Ipecac because he substituted for for Tommy uh, when Tommy couldn't make it to a show for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, that's how he and I met. But what happened was, towards the end of that band, we did start getting more popular. We played with uh, Rancid and Avail, and that was a huge show. That was at the Flood Zone. That was, at that point... What was Ipecac's music like? I mean, cause, uh, because that's the name of Mike Patton's label. I'm oh, like, right. <laughs> uh, very, very dissonant, and yet also commercially appealing. <laughs> I don't know. What, was it to, like um, post-hardcore kind of type so, stuff? Yeah, like kind of. Sort of like... Um, oh, God. Maybe a little bit like slang louse, but with kind of like screamier vocals, uh, I guess, and and maybe noisier. So not necessarily driving, but or maybe driving, stopping suddenly and going in a different direction. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of like that, and very dissonant chord forms. That that's that was sort of the big thing, um, you know, heavy, sort of sludgy at times. Were you so you know I. I I heard post-hardcore as a term to describe music before, but it wasn't really meaningful to me because I wasn't really into hardcore. Yeah. And I didn't really realize that, like, how many bands... I didn't really put it together how many bands started... Went from doing that, this very mm-hmm. just fast, no rhythm. Right. Like, absolutely. Uh-huh. It didn't seem like it was related to blues-based rock and roll at all. It was just, like, no. super fast, onslaught. Sure. To everybody's doing some kind of a mathy, like... Thing from like Fugazi and like um, I guess like the only other bands I could think of, and there's I'm sure there are tons more, but like Quicksand uh-huh. and uh-huh. all you know there. So there's this going from not really having a lot of skill and and uh, varied palette working from to uh-huh. a very valid varied palette, right. and so it winds up being a genre, mm-hmm. but it, it isn't really like per yeah, se. It's, it's, it's a hard term to like if you describe something as as post-hardcore it, it doesn't like same with post-punk you know that could be Devo or it could be Blondie I guess you could say mm-hmm. but neither of those that they, they don't sound alike you know no so. and, and really punk bands never sounded alike right yeah either even and yeah so um that was kind of a digression there but yeah <laughs> but you it sounds like Ipecac w- would have fit with that kind of Thing. Yeah, yeah, and we were we were doing well, and people definitely were responding positively. Um, and then out of nowhere, the singer left a, a voicemail, a voicemail, answering machine message mm. back when they was like yeah. little, little cassette tape guys sure. back mm-hmm. then, saying that he you know his ears were ringing and he was like tired of playing like loud music, and. Uh, an excuse I would end up later using, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So he just didn't want to, and you know he stuck to it. It wasn't 
I don't think he was ever in another band. I think he briefly may have done something. Well, it sounds like he got tinnitus. So it's possible, mm-hmm. or maybe he just didn't want. It. Maybe he viewed it as being like childish or something. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, then so he has never been in a band, to my knowledge, since then. Uh, I want to say that I heard that he was in like a kind of a metal band in Charlottesville or Waynesboro. I'm not sure, but I, nothing that ever like you know recorded or did anything serious, to my knowledge. Um, but yeah, so then when he quit, like at that time, uh, we were sort of gearing up to go on like a winter tour, uh, like a, a couple weeks, and like the shows were getting booked, and we had, I want to say it was Abolition Records, but I'm not sure, but someone was going to put out our 12-inch record. So Nathan and I, we lived in the same apartment building, and so we would like write songs, uh, just you know, sitting in the room, just guitar and bass. And like writing it down, sheet music on paper mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a pretty good amount of material written. Uh, he wrote some, I wrote some, we wrote some collaboratively. And then, um, so later when Herm started, um, I used a lot of the ideas that I had written in Ipecac, uh, but never got to use. Because that was sort of the direction that I kind of wanted to go in anyway. Um, and so Herm was sort of an extension of of that um and in fact eric josephson again he played drums in ipecac for some like he substituted for some of those shows so when i was starting a new band i was like hey do you want to do this band that sounds like this and he was like yeah sure and then we got uh trevor thomas to play bass Mm -hmm. and so that's that that's how that band started and then was ultimate dragons right after that no ultimate dragons was a couple years later um I was in a band called Secret Girlfriends for a while, and I mean, obviously, a bunch of other bands. I, anyway, you were um, in a bunch of other bands in that two-year period. Yeah, like um, I was in a band called Freshomatics, like a surf band. I was in this kind of like arty, like folk band called Fifteen on the Fifteen. Um, that was, yeah, that was something we would do, like uh, you know, like Zeppelin and Sabbath covers, but with uh, banjo and ukulele. Mm-hmm and uh, accordion and um and then years like 15 years later you hear like you see youtube videos of someone playing like one by metallica on a banjo and it's right. like um yeah it's was, been done man yeah, did that uh but anyway <clears throat> i mean even so, the like well i mean i don't know I, who knows where the d- roots of all this shit go but i mean chigger was the first bluegrass band that i ever heard played that comprised of guys from like you know, math rock bands and, and mm-hmm. punk bands and rock bands and all that kind of stuff. And then maybe four or five years after that, there was a, just a shitload of this unironic yeah. folk country and yeah. bluegrass stuff going on by people who had been, you know, as furthest thing from that as you could get. Right. We were um, extremely not unironic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If could, was that an inverted irony? <laughs> is it sincere or not? <laughs> uh, I don't even know. Uh, and then I was in a band called The Greeman. And when I was in The Greeman, that was when uh, The Ultimate Dragons started. The Ultimate Dragons was uh, Trivet. And Trivet played drums. And um, JD played guitar. And Ben White played bass. And so we were around the same. The Greeman was the same time as them. And then I don't know how it happened, but eventually it got to where I was like, um, hey, why don't I play lead guitar in ultimate dragons or maybe they asked me i'm not sure which ended up happening so it was a, a couple months into 
into their career that I I joined and, and played second guitar on. Was um, Flynn? I don't know if this was a joke or not, but he said that they were kind of a Kiss cover band before. <laughs> no, like, but we did do a set of Kiss covers once. Okay. Um, we like on Halloween we like wore the makeup and we we did a set of of Kiss covers. At ah. Another great thing that Chris said about that band, also, mm-hmm. which you'll like anyway, yeah. is like before Di Donato joined that band, their the fucking riff sounded like something a pro wrestler walks out to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I, you know, I like those riffs. I like pro wrestlers, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I I did try to add like a lot of texture and stuff to to those songs, um, and a lot of solo composition. Yeah, yeah, um, color and, mm-hmm. and and shape and stuff to to, to that stuff, um, and sometimes maybe I went too far. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I did stuff in it that may not have been appropriate, um, but I don't know. I I thought it sounded good. I did too. I mean, I I like that. Whatever it, it was, it in, what was it called? It had drag star on it, and oh yeah, like maybe. Name? Like, was that the name of the song? That was yeah. the name of the song, yeah. yeah. And it was named after the pl- the ship in heavy metal that had the guys snorting I- Iborg uh, in it. Nyborg? Is that, Nyborg. Is that what it's called? Good Nyborg, okay. man. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, that's actually the only Ultimate Dragon song proper that I wrote the music to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that had a lot of my input in it. Um, but most of the other, like JD wrote pretty much all the other stuff. Um, and then, you know, one, and then I was also in the band called, uh, Blackie Manuel at that time. Oh yeah. Uh, because now, I saw that band. Yeah. Quite a, besides Ultimate Dragon. I saw that band a lot at, um, uh, Hole in the Wall. Yeah. Yeah. I was also a fan of those films. Yeah, they were great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Laura Gemser. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, and it makes it so it's difficult to. Google the band at work <laughs> without <laughs> getting something else. Some NSFW. Yes. And uh, also in our live, w- I made a live recording and uh, I put it on YouTube and it got, you know, it's it's well over a thousand views, which is more than most of my videos mm-hmm, that I post. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, because there's a fairly strong... Yeah, what do we consider a view? Like, did somebody start that? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. How this is not black and men. Right, well. I don't know how I far can't you have jerk to get off to this. <laughs> but there, there, there was a good amount of dislikes, so I'm wondering how many people wanted to see Laura Gemser, but instead mm-hmm. got a live recording of some Richmond band. Mm-hmm. But you know, still, it a lot of people seem to have liked it, and it's gotten a ton of views, which is surprising to me. You got to call your band Black Pussy without really oh, calling geez. your band Black Pussy. Um, <laughs> There are no exceptions to this rule, but if you have that synonym for a cat in your band name, I don't like it. I don't. Oh care. yeah, there yep. are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. So you're probably thinking, well, what about the riot one? Nope, I don't like it. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know if it's something. You know, that word does not. I mean, I'm not trying to interrupt. Like to me, that word doesn't auto like it lands in this uh vortex or between sex and something else cats it, 
it, well, what a cat I- implies, you <laughs> okay, know. Okay. So it's like it's not really, a, you know, a vagina. It's mm-hmm. also not a, a cat. It's this concept <laughs> of something that is awesome. Okay. You know, okay. it's like <laughs> that's feminine. You know, right. it, it's it's something feminine, soft, pliable. I don't know. You know, like the things that uh-huh. you asso- you know associate with. You know, but it's not. Uh, so I was really surprised when when the band Black Pussy pissed off a lot of people because uh-huh. I felt like they were using that word that way. Also, they weren't saying like we really like black. It wasn't like brown sugar even right. by the Rolling Stones, which was explicitly about that. Yes, yes. You know, those yeah. guys were just kind of saying this. These two words just sound good together. And yeah, kind of. And it's like the cover of uh, the first Queens of the Stone Age record. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. which is a a black woman. Mm-hmm torso pinup you know yeah so i mean i just kind of was like it's just an ex- aesthetic thing yeah it didn't yeah. wasn't like it was mm-hmm. I, I think with that band a lot of it is and this is sort of a common thing just in general is uh outrage on someone else's behalf mm-hmm. you know yeah. um so i'm sure that it that name is really offensive to a lot of people uh but i'm also sure that there's a lot of people that just really want to be offended uh you know and again i'm not a fan of 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 that word, maybe part of it is having daughters. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Right. Uh, it just rubs. But me there's the wrong no way. band that <laughs> have that in their title, and uh, and there is no exception. I, I can't think of any. Um, I can't think of very many bands with that. You know, there's the, right the Russian band Pussy Riot, and then right. But who else? Uh, I don't know. Oh, Pussy it, Galore. Is that an exception? Um. You could just listen to Boss Hog. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, honestly, yeah. I haven't really, I haven't heard, I haven't heard that one. I've, I've really only heard Boss Hog. But Boss Hog, I like John Spencer Blues Explosion was pretty good early on. Um, but I never liked any of that shit except Boss Hog. I like Boss Hog. But yeah, Boss Hog was good. They had really good uh, record covers too. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, with miss with the. <laughs> Yeah, but but again, a lot of it is is people just wanting to be offended, and now with the internet, you know, people that want to be offended have you know a, a platform to be. Well, there's a on. fucking bratty fucking police force. Um, yeah, and there's all these various versions of it. Like Mark Marin calls this one group of dudes the unfuckable hate army. Uh huh. <laughs> that, that are just like obviously frustrated. Not right. you know they just do all of this shit behind avatars and uh-huh, uh-huh. online. And yet there's also the, and I remember being in, like, as a upper classman, as an English major, like really getting into the poetics of shit mm-hmm. and like feminist literary theory yeah. and all of this stuff and, and starting to get kind of outraged and kind of like the veil has been lifted. And sure. now I see like all of this stuff that's, you know, sort of oppressive to our perceptions mm-hmm. and the actual way that. Uh, culture lines up and way you know the potential of your life and all of that. I remember getting really indignant and, and righteous, yeah, about that stuff mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and so I, I recognize it, but I, it, then you later on you realize that really this is just a bunch of fucking humans that don't have any power or control over any of this stuff. It's just like eddies of uh-huh. stuff that happens or yeah, well, whatever. But and, and you know my reaction to 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 the Black Cat Band. Um, was just I listened to some of the song and I was like, oh, I don't like this. And then I just clicked the little red X thing. That's all you gotta do. And that was it. Like, and then I moved on with my day. Like, I didn't post any like long internet screeds about like this is so terrible and objectifying because it is. And 
you know, I, there are people that can, you know, state that better than I can. And, you know, but actually, yeah. it, it kind of goes back to um, when I would write stuff for Punchline, mm-hmm. just regarding, you know, negativity in general. Right. Um, if there was, like, I, I got a decent amount of stuff to review, and I, I, I would write about it. And if it was, you know, a local band, you know, that's just trying to make it or trying to do something or just trying to do, you know, trying to record and play in front of people, et cetera, like, what I would do if I didn't like it is I would just describe what it sounded like. Right. You know, in case there's somewhat, there is a market for it that mm-hmm. someone might be into. Uh, I would never have, like, trashed a, a, a local band, you know, that needed support, you know, because why would you do that? Well, the thing is, is, like, look, I hear this a lot um, from people, like, man, you know, we, we do are entitled to some appreciation or support or some Uh money or whatever. No, you're not. Right. (laughs) Like, I mean, playing rock and roll is fucking awesome. And like very, not that many people can do it. Right. And the fact that you can do it awesome, but nobody has to appreciate it. Yeah. You know, and if it sucks, it fucking sucks. Or if, or, you know, and if you're just doing it for codependent reasons and Mm -hmm. in order to get people to like you and that's not working and you're indignant about that, then that's pathetic. You know, I mean, I'm kind of going on a, on a rant about no. this, but my, my attitude when I was writing record reviews for Punchline, it wasn't like I was trying to swing my dick and be an asshole. Yeah. I'd been living in New York for four years. Right. And I'd been reading, this is before Pitchfork Media, mm-hmm. but there were people who wrote like that in yeah. the Village Voice and wrote, and in uh, the New York Press. Uh-huh. And I thought, I benefited a whole lot from being like fucked with at Matador yeah. over my musical taste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, you know, it didn't turn me into a, a shooter on a rampage. It uh-huh. made me go, well, what is there something wrong with my musical? Day? Yeah. Can I grow here? Is uh-huh. there something else I need to, you know, um, if I'm unironically listening to Danzig at Matador in the shipping department and there are people uh-huh. are coming back there mocking me. Yeah. Well, what's the, I mean, and what I ended up doing was digging my feet, you know, digging in even deeper with like Stoner Rock. And right. Like all of yeah, that. Cause sure. I'm like, well, all you guys are listening to the blues explosion. I'm going to be over here listening to Nikias. And, yeah. and I was rebelling against that. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, I thought if I wrote about Richmond bands like that, I would be helping them get ready for uh-huh. leaving Richmond. Oh, sure. Because yeah. they're going to yeah, fucking get yeah. torn the fuck up by people who don't know them and right. don't give a shit where they're from. Right, right. right. So, true. like, I just thought I'd write about them that way. It wasn't like I wasn't being malicious. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, when a band comes out with yet another drop D, you know, Billy, Willie, um, what's his not? What's the guy? Billy Anderson. Okay. You know, either wants Billy Anderson to produce them or has been produced by Billy Anderson. Uh-huh. And they're doing that same droney, you know, sort of blues kind of Sabbath influenced all. Yeah. At some point you go, Hey man, you know, you do know that what you're doing is on, is getting to be hack. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like there's a lot of this shit out yeah, here, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and it's really like, so, I mean, I, I would come out and say that, right, you know, yeah. I thought maybe you should be aware, like in case yeah. you weren't. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I do remember reading some of your views and I do remember some of that being harsh, but also constructive, mm-hmm. you know, um, which I think is important. Like, you know, to be harsh yet constructive. Yes. Uh, of course, I wasn't. Well, yeah, I guess I had been playing music at that point. But I mean, it's but we, we've been talking about this a lot about like, you know, positive reinforcement or I, I mean, so much like, you know, the beginning of the movie Bird, Charlie Parker comes out with a saxophone and starts playing and somebody throws a cymbal on the stage uh-huh. next to him. And, you know, he goes back and he woodsheds and he becomes a badass. And, yeah. he, you know. There's a lot to be said for that, you yeah. know, and that yeah. is, 
I think ultimately the problem with Richmond is there is so much love and acceptance for stuff that sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, really, it's okay. So maybe it doesn't suck, but there isn't like not that many people have your attitude that they're, they're like trying to to grow and get better. They're yeah. like, okay, this is good enough for Richmond. Right. right I'm at right, least right, right. not known as a dishwasher, like you mentioned. I'm known yeah. as a member of this uh-huh. band. Mm-hmm. I'm not the guy who works in the tech department at Guitar Center. Yeah. I am in this these two or three bands. Mm-hmm. That's good enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you know. th- then uh, I don't know if it's even a term, but negative reinforcement, you know, that could be a thing where – and I, I've – I've experienced a little bit of that too, where um, what's well, meeting resistance? You know, yeah, it's it, strength training. Where, <laughs> where it's like, okay, people hate this. I'm gonna ram it down their throats. You know yeah. what I mean? Because, um, because like, fuck you. That's why. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, there were some Herm shows that were very much like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played once in Roanoke. Um, we played with this uh, my my old friend's band uh, called Swank, uh, mm-hmm. and they were kind of like a a funky sort of like ska kind of band mm-hmm. um, that we, that I had met through my time in Jolly Immortals, like the earliest Jolly Immortals stuff. So, you know, it was, it was a relative, it, it, it wasn't a misfit bill, early Jolly Immortals stuff and the, the band Swank. And so the show was Herm, Swank, and this other band called the P-Tanks, which was like a fast kind of ska band. And so we played in Roanoke where Swank was from and, um, and people like, were big swank fans and they they just wanted to come and like dance to like really fast mm-hmm. upbeat ska music and then right. there's herm like just punishing these people mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had this one song that was like i think it was uh the title was you can't fall off the floor which was <laughs> like and all the strings were tuned to a flat uh, just this the slowest dirgiest song imaginable and just looking out at the crowd and just seeing all these like teenage kids just so bummed out <laughs> gave me, for some reason, the most perverse joy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's definitely I something. I can understand why that would. Yes. Yeah, there's something to be said for, for negative reinforcement of you know having people hate well, you. Well, like you said, the stunt, too. Like yeah. That's a huge... Just playing music, to me, is not enough. Like I mean, and I haven't really... I've had tons of ideas of shit that I want to do that I've never done, but like I always wanted to have a, a shtick around it or mm-hmm. to be, you know, somewhat like. And the, this wasn't the bands that I was in. You mm-hmm. know, the bands I was in were you know, whatever. They're you know they don't re- they're not they don't stand out in okay. any way. But I've always loved that. I mean, Ultra Bay was my favorite band in Richmond when I came back from New York because yeah. they, I mean they wore different clothes every time. You didn't know what the fuck was going to happen. Right, and, right, right. I remember you know. That band. Um, and I really like that, and I'm not, um, and and really a lot of this does come down to personal taste. Like, what is yeah. rock and roll to you? You know, like is it, you know, really liking just the feel of the established FM rock radio album oriented rock thing, which both of us like. I mean, we right. listen to Steely Dan and yeah. stuff. I do love that, but I also love it when somebody like Tony, uh, bitch now beach got yeah. up there and threw a pint glass across the room and. You know, oh, it's hole in the wall, and you know, just <laughs> and those guys just rip into some, you know, rock and roll. I mean, I, I right. do, I love that, like that thing that upsets people, that yeah. pisses people off. That because I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's not a f- really, it's not so much a fuck you as much as it is like you get into these ruts of like what's okay, and it then becomes pablum, right. you know. And it's always important, no matter whether it's music or I think art is the thing. 
where people are doing that that gets people to see things from a different angle that they can mm-hmm. make practical things. Sure. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like how to make the iPhone or how to, mm-hmm. you know, make some other technology. So, yeah. you know, being un- made uncomfortable and being offended right. and, and being challenged mm-hmm. by something is a good thing. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, and it, it made me kind of wonder after that show, I thought about it. I was like, I wonder if any of those kids like thought about what it was they didn't like about that performance and I wonder if it made them kind of look within themselves because sometimes if you see something you don't like it's because there something is reflected in you in it mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. um, it can make you like question and challenge yourself and be like well why did I have such a terrible reaction to this true and i bet you so two things i think one is that some some music like i mean chord progressions of ska and like all of that that's joy and happiness and uh-huh. it's viscerally so right right that's why you want to dance to it and yeah. get <laughs> uh-huh. into it you know and the, so that's what those kids were about you yeah. know they're like little hummingbirds and shit and they right. got on their vans and their fucking skinny ties and checkered whatever and Ray-Bans and that's what they wanted to do yeah. and then you guys come with the you know flatted fifth and yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know music that is that is viscerally evil or distasteful or nauseating in a certain way like my you know because when people like Burley Oates came out with western music that had that kind of shit in it people went nuts yeah. like the Symphony Fantastique like it really upset yeah. them mm-hmm. you know made them feel crazy yeah or Rite of Spring yeah, yeah yeah so you might have had that effect on them mm-hmm. is that even if they had intellectually wanted to enjoy it they viscerally were unable yeah. to because they <laughs> didn't have a place to contextualize right, that right. sound palette yes and you know similarly yeah. you know I, I was still probably pretty depressed at that point in time so you know what was it about things like ska and its inherent joy and happiness that you know that turned me off you know <laughs> so sometimes if you if you can't appreciate like nowadays i can appreciate like a lot more different types of things yeah. that i used to be able to uh just because you know if something really bothers me i know i'm aware of the fact that it might be because there's something about it that i can relate to on a deeper level that i don't want to face yeah and you it may be something pathological mm-hmm. and it also might just be the pathological way that we align ourselves with particular cultural movements in opposition to others, mm-hmm. you know, I was again talking to Sean about this. And yeah. like my ability to enjoy more music now has to do with me saying, who the fuck is this guy in me that decided this wasn't cool? This right. is cool. And if you try to do some detective work on the root of that thing, you find it, it ends up at a dead end. Like, yeah, it's just some assumption you made at some point. It's a prejudice. It's just a limitation yeah. to your thinking yeah you know and that's why i'm not i wouldn't write a record review like that now i would uh-huh. like because the things that used to make you know being part of that indie rock thing which was all about kicking sand in people's faces and being uh-huh. a bully right you know i don't like that and i, I fucking hate that shit yeah. now <laughs> yeah. like i really like there's so much negativity in this world there's yeah. so much suffering there's so much that really truly sucks right like, cancer like yeah. <laughs> divorce <laughs> right. you know like death like you know r- getting fired like real like yeah. and people trying to make some music and like try to you know contribute something right and like you really got to come at them like that you yeah. know <laughs> yeah like well, I, I don't fuck those guys are company that are like that you yeah know? right yeah no i agree um I, you know another thing i want to talk about was like a, a, a difference between um 
Austin and Richmond, mm-hmm. you know, having lived there for, I guess, 15 years. Uh, in Austin, it's very different um, because of the supply and demand there. Because mm-hmm. I think you were talking earlier about, you know, how people feel entitled just because they've learned how to play an instrument. They feel entitled that they should walk up on a stage and have people like and appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh, so in Austin, the thing with it there is that there are so many bands. Uh, like there's a website called, I want to say, showlistaustin.com. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, just every night there are at least a dozen shows, mm-hmm. except for the weekends when there's just un- uncountable numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's it's difficult to do anything there that would gain any traction because there's so many other people right. doing it. It's different than the way that you know Richmond was in the early '90s, where you know there'd be a show at Twisters or there'd be a show at the Metro, and you know it would be good maybe once or twice a week or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember there was a good run at the Metro, and th- there's a picture of it on Facebook somewhere where uh, I don't know if it was the month of September of 1992 or something, but it was all just like legends. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> it was like. Inquisition, Avail, Who's Got Cable, First Five Through Again, you know, just... Mm-hmm. And like, that was downstairs. You know, there may have been some, like, made... It, like, it might have been upstairs. Uh, but yeah, upstairs, th- those were really the, the the Halcyon days, I think, were, were upstairs. Yeah, both floors room. going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, you were talking about the, the summer of 94. That's when, that, that was around the time that all that stuff started falling apart. Uh, really when uh, when the upstairs metro closed that was huge yeah and what like Scott Staten owned that place and then there was this guy that booked there whose name he had blonde hair and glasses and I can't remember his name but he was the one bringing in all these national acts that were you know Mm -hmm. you know you'd look at one of these flyers for the month and it was just full of people like you know Big Black or Shellac or something like that yeah yeah and then he moved over to Twisters, and okay. what the fuck is that guy's name? But it, it Jerry was Bird, like, I remember that. No, guy. it wasn't him. <laughs> no, no, it was. I don't know whatever happened to this guy. But he, I mean, he was known to all, you know employ some less than ethical tactics every so often to like make a show go over, like claiming Soundgarden was going to be here, something like that. Oh. I can't remember the guy's name, but somebody else listening to this is right now like, you know, well, like we're not on the radio, <laughs> but when they uh. listen to it later, they're going to be like fucking dude um yeah but that split happened right and then the abc board said you can't have an alcohol license upstairs and that's actually a separate address right and really this was eugene trainee starting to enforce he was actually he giuliani'd richmond before Uh giuliani giuliani'd new york Oh, okay he enforced cabaret license type shit uh building code electric wiring all this stuff nobody gave a shit about because I'm. This is a story I've written. It may or may not be true, but it makes sense to me that if a family comes to look at DCU mm-hmm. and they're like, "What a nice little school here and yeah. so affordable," yeah. and then you walk one block away and there's motorcycle bars, strip yeah. clubs, porn theater, yep. all of this, these clubs and all these fucking kids hanging out, looking like shit, and yeah, and you know, not good for business. Even like, I guess you could even say that nationally, that was sort of a thing, and. Um, Around the middle of 1994, I blame the movie uh, Forrest Gump. Mm. For you really hate that movie. Yeah, I hate that movie because it's sort of um, it's very against thought, like uh, objective thinking, 
any sort of like leftism is you know derided throughout the whole thing. Well, as it happens, the people in that like the Black Panthers look bad, the radicals right. look bad. That, yeah, but but Abby Hoffman is like you know, but he's they they make a joke out of that guy. <laughs> it's sad, and I think what that movie did, and I'm I'm only half kidding when I talk about it, but um, I think that that movie gave sort of uh, gave the spine back to. Uh, a certain uh, faction of people on the right. The manufactured, like, McCarthy-era, like, um, yeah. you know, middle-class American who who fit the pictures of the advertising, the, mm-hmm. our private sector propaganda. Right. Yeah. And because, you know, uh, culture and, and such is often dictated the way it's, like, you know, media mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing is usually dictated by people that are more the creative types. The liberal media. Right, exactly. More <laughs> people kind of on the left. Uh, and so for years, you know, we're taught that uh, the 60s were all about hippies and stuff mm-hmm. when, no, the hippies were a reaction to what was happening. Right. But as history was written more by the left, you know, you you just think that if it was in the 60s, you'd be walking around and just everyone would be a hippie. But it, it wasn't the case. I mean, Nixon won two mm-hmm, elections, mm-hmm. right? So, um, <clears throat> But we actually had, and this is coming back, we had the police and the National Guard in the fucking college campuses and out in the streets stopping people from doing shit, acting as martial law yeah. on the behalf of the status quo mm-hmm. and really saying, oh, you're actually not this free. Right, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. not, you know, if you're threatening the status quo, you're threatening my business. Right, you, you know, um, we will bring violence to bear upon yeah. you, and we're we're in that again. You know, yeah. that's totally what this is. It's yeah, we're we're definitely getting there. It's it's hard though to tell. I think in a way because uh, now that everyone has like phones that can film video, um, because you know nowadays when like an unarmed black person gets shot. Someone's videotaping it, mm-hmm. whereas before, like when the Rodney King thing happened, however many years ago, like nobody knew. I guess people weren't as aware that that was something that happened just every day. Yeah, because when that happened, I didn't know that that kind of stuff happened as like a little white kid in Williamsburg. You know, I didn't know that that, you know, that black people still like I was taught in history like there was a Voting Rights Act of nineteen sixty four, sixty five, whatever that was, and then. And then that was the end of it. And then everything became cool. I remember so some like, hip hop art. I mean, I was I had been listening to West Coast rap and hip hop for a while, and mm-hmm. been listening to New York stuff, and really was less a part of the New York stuff. Is very much a part of the West Coast stuff mm-hmm. that the police were, you know, corrupt and always beating people's asses for no reason, and they right. just whatever. So I remember somebody, either Ice Cube or he might even been Be Real from Cypress Hill. He's like, it does not surprise me that the cops beat that guy's ass. Yeah. What surprises me is they didn't kill him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, I mean, I, so I wasn't, I wasn't surprised by that. But yes, we we got that one video, right? Like, and now everybody's got you know readily available stuff, so we are right. more exposed to that. But right. So that's just you know I wonder, I, I'm sure. Because I've heard that, you know, gun violence has gone down since um, the assault weapons ban of 94. I'm not sure. Like, you can attribute it to a couple different things. Uh, but th- to me, that seems like it would make sense, just having maybe... Well, and I think also, so we're f- in our 40s. Yeah. Right? So we've seen a bunch of different shit. 
we saw the you know we came i came i was born shortly after the 60s i was born 1970 right, right. you know so that stuff was still fresh in the air yeah my, my you know it didn't really hit richmond you know not even like riots after martin luther king was assassinated mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. but you know my family talked about it i was very sensitive to that late 60s radical kind of thing mm-hmm. and then i grew up in churchill and i was in the midst of you know the real what's what what the civil rights movement availed of culture and like what was happening and like i was going to those schools and and you know really really aware of like how bad it had been yeah you know yeah and what that kind of racism which was like you're subhuman uh-huh. you're not as good as me right like we're obviously like wrong and offensive and terrible you know mm-hmm. and so you know what goes on now seems i mean not the killing of unarmed black men but yeah. but many other forms of talk and things that are offend offend people just seems like i'm like this is kind of nothing from but i guess from the viewpoint of young people they're like this still exists and yeah. it's got to go yeah and so i've got that old person attitude like oh it's nowhere near as bad as it was right <laughs> yeah but there's still a way to go but it's yeah it's yeah. still like so it we rest on our laurels mm-hmm. you know and maybe we never even got to those laurels we just like accepted the cosby family and uh-huh. a lot of you know the few apertures that of media that we were looking at said it's, it's good now. It's yeah, just, yeah. Chuck D's not even complaining anymore. You know, <laughs> everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, I was listening to I was driving around with my daughter, and the song uh, "Brown Sugar" by Rolling Stones mm-hmm. came on, and she was maybe you know eleven or twelve or something, and she was like, um, she goes, "Did they know how racist this was when they wrote this?" And you know, to me, I was I. I've heard that song since I was a kid, mm-hmm. so I, I guess it didn't really strike me as being particularly offensive because I didn't know any better, right. you know. But then to someone that that's growing up now, because I think culture has at least tried to make an effort to make things better, to the point where you know my daughter notices that as being racist. But when I was that age, I had no idea. Yeah, well, I feel like what this is, I guess, where my what I'm trying to navigate, I mm. guess, and I'm not trying to come down and as a pundit or anything like that and mm. say it should be or shouldn't be or is or isn't or whatever. Yeah, that doesn't strike me as racist. It strikes me as extremely risque, uh-huh. like playing fast and loose with convention and right. like what is sort of. Well, you know, that is a reality of that time period. Uh-huh. You know, he's talking about, you know, something, 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 English blood runs hot, lady right. of the house wondering where it's going to stop. Uh-huh. So you picture, this is a, a British guy, yeah. right, who came in on a boat over here, mm-hmm. and he's wind up the master of these human beings who are from Africa, uh-huh. and he falls in lust with them uh-huh. and starts having sex with them. Right. And, like, this, this is undeniable. So there's this awful, brutal, like, kind of narrative there that it is you know rape but it's like that's the stones being provocative about saying it's also uh, i mean there's a many facets and nuances to it Mm -hmm. and it's like but he they were really talking i think they were really talking against that yeah but in this but they're singing from that guy's viewpoint where he's gone so nuts like this British slave owner who's become an American, he's gone so crazy with this that he's now celebrating it, and it's like uh-huh. he's obsessed with it. Right? You know. Well, was he was he 
I, I guess we can't know, and maybe he wouldn't either. But was he speaking from his own perspective, or was he trying to? Well, the uh, song is old. is a story about somebody from that from like you know the eighteen hundreds. Okay, you know, because okay. it's, it's it's totally about that. Yeah, you know, if you listen to the lyrics, he's not talking about how oh, much no. he liked the Motown backup singer that right. that he dated <laughs> that sang uh-huh. um, "Give Me Shelter." Yeah, but perhaps that informed that sure but it's sure. like the axel rose playing the role of a kid getting off a bus uh-huh, in one uh-huh. in a million mm-hmm. if you really listen to that song it's satire like right m- m- uh, both axel and uh mick jagger it's they're doing satire it's like uh who was his um that wrote a modest proposal to, um mm. thomas um i think the, john dunn or somebody like that mm-hmm. modest proposal was a story about here's how we deal with the irish we should just start eating the babies. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And then he wrote this very like, um, like, you know, straight faced, but ironic uh-huh. thing. Very deep irony. Right. Where he was like, oh, might as well just get some chattel houses going. Put the uh-huh. babies in there. It'll be great. <laughs> Feed the populace. And, you know, help. Then those Irish mothers don't have to deal with it. You know. Right. right, right. And, and, you know, he, he that was satire. You yeah. know, he was basically saying we're not that far from the way that you were looking at the Irish, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's really what Mick Jagger mainly was, was, you know, that guy's a real got man of letters, you know? Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the awesome things about the stones. Is it's, mm-hmm. it's Dick and brains. It's right. like, it's all of that. But I think he was really just kind of talking about it from this, from the perspective of someone else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, what, um, yeah. that, that I call that the, uh, the ice tea defense, uh, because, you know, in talking about the song Cop Killer. Right. You know, he says, well, I don't feel that way. I'm writing from the perspective of someone that might feel that way. And if you're going to police that, then uh-huh. what the, f- what do we got? Yeah. Communism. Oh, I know, right? I know, I know. Everybody narking on everybody else. Right. Like, that just occurred to me recently. It's like we're in East Germany again. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's going to police everybody for thought crimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I it, it is something that I find interesting, though, is that. So say when Ice-T wrote that, I don't know that there is a distinction between, you know, whether or not he was saying he was playing a role or whether or not that was his own personal thing. I used to think that, uh, I used to think about that a lot, whether people are, you know, playing a role when they write something or whether or not it comes from within. But then A little bit of both. Yeah, it could be both and it could be neither. And it could be, you know, like, say you read some, like, some of Danzig's lyrics from around the Samhain period or something like that. Um, a lot of it sort of defies interpretation, but mm-hmm. if you were to interpret it, why would your interpretation of it be any less valid than Danzig's? You know, Danzig is just one of, like, or whoever's right. writing it. Like, you know. That's why they have grad students that write all of these fucking <laughs> papers right. about shit is because they think they've hit upon something that the artist intended or did, but didn't consciously intend right like, you know mm-hmm. and now oh and look at all of this see what it says about the assumptions that white males have about women and everyone else because yeah. look it's a constant in this literature so great you got your paper published right that, <laughs> yeah again that is just that's one interpretation just like you're saying you could the artist could have meant something totally different yeah. and, and both things are real it, what the artist meant and what happens to you when you listen to it, but the artist is not responsible for what happens right. to you when you listen to it. You brought your shit yeah, to it. You yeah, yeah. And th- it's even happened personally, like when, you know, with old songs that I've written for many, many years ago uh, that I thought were about such and such. 
I listen to them now and I think, well, you know, having the benefit of hindsight, like maybe that song was about something else. Maybe mm-hmm. there was something else going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, speaking to that perspective of like, you know, what is the intention of the artist? Like no one can really say, and even the artist can't say. No, and I think that's what I what attracts me to any kind of art. That's right. why I do this podcast this way because mm-hmm. I don't fucking I want to see what happens when we start talking. Mm-hmm. I don't, and it's the same way about playing music. Like I, I just want to see what happens when I start playing the guitar with somebody. Right, right. You know, I'm not interested in we. I mean, I'm not against it, but it's nowhere near as interesting to me as like what happens when you just fucking open that box up because mm-hmm. there's stuff we know. And that's even dubious. Yeah. You know, we think we know shit, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we saw it, heard it, you know, whatever. And then there's stuff that we know that we don't know that we know. Sure. There's deep, like, encoding mm-hmm. from the way that you were raised. There's things that you know because everything that you're made out of has been here since the beginning. Right. And that shit, your body knows shit that you don't, your ego doesn't know. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's a part of your intelligence that I think when you get into a good fugue state, talking playing music just doing some kind of thing where you're just flowing yeah that wisdom or that knowledge or something is trying to tell you something Mm -hmm. it tries to tell you that when you're asleep when you're dreaming Mm -hmm. you know it's got it's picked something up that you were too busy worrying about like getting to work getting home to eat dinner all that kind of shit it saw something else and then when you've turned off that uh the organizer the secretary right uh, it starts saying hey man check this yeah (laughs) Did you see that shit? And it's kind of this whole, you know, the archetypes, they don't form the reality. They're an expression of the reality under this underlying thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I, that's why I think that, you know, if anyone is listening to this that plays music or whatever and might be discouraged uh, because nobody cares or whatever, uh, it's still valid to continue doing it. Right. Uh, because, and, ev- and have it be terrible and have it be stuff that even you don't like if it means like clearing out all the muck so that you get to the good stuff later because the more you practice and the more you try the better you end up getting it's mm-hmm. it's unavoidable but if anything you know if you can write things it can be like purgative and something that you can look back on and get a perspective on what you're going through emotionally at that particular time um so you know i think that people should just constantly you should just make art yeah it shouldn't be I mean, this is, again, a thing that I advocate for because I play music late, and yet I found myself getting a hell of a lot out of playing music and, yeah. and playing drums in one band and guitar in another. I thought that if I hadn't started by the time I was 12 or something like that, uh-huh. that I may not do it now. Right. You know, I'm uh-huh. not allowed to play music because the serious guitar players and the serious musicians have already got that. No, 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 no. no. You can't. <laughs> We're, we do that now. We've been doing it our whole lives. Right. You know. And there's just plenty of room for people playing music on any level, and there's no reason not to do it. You yeah. Know? Um, in fact, there's a lot of good reasons to do it because mm-hmm. it does get you at a language center that is pre-vocal, pre-verbal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you're, you know, we've been conditioned by language, so we mm-hmm. think of things in terms of the English language, and that, you know, there's a chicken and the egg thing going. Like, are you having an um, are you having an authentic response or are you, you basically rolling a tape on a story, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that comes with all this, you know, English language and culture and all this kind of stuff. If you play music, you can be at a more primal 
thing. Yeah. Although many people would rather it just be about grammar and spelling, uh-huh. <laughs> and that, that's that. No, no, that's the way you do it. You've got to have the fucking. You got to be in tune. You have the right tone. Yeah. You can't like I got a solid state head. You're like, uh-huh. oh, forget it. Don't even bother. You know, <laughs> yeah. don't play through that thing. Right. Yeah, you know, it's all I could afford. You know. <laughs> well, and, uh, it's, you know, does it sound good? That's the thing. To me, you yeah, know, that's so, there you go. so it, but it's, I mean, it's a great lesson for anything is like the most amazing thing you can offer the world is your output, like just mm-hmm. coming from you. There's nobody else that's going to see it or play it or do it exactly right. like you. Mm-hmm. And so you have that contribution to make. Yeah. And if you get your ego out of it and you're not like, God damn it, nobody likes me. I can't get laid. Uh-huh. I can't get a record contract, yeah. whatever the fuck. You're doing it wrong. You, know, yeah. you don't have to worry about all that shit. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think there's there was a internet meme going around. Uh, it was from the Mister Rogers show, mm-hmm. uh, and it was him like drawing a house or something. And he says, um, "I'm not very good at this, but it doesn't matter." Yeah. And that's, you know, whatever kind of art you do, or sports, or just anything, you know. It doesn't matter whether or not you're good at it. I mean, it's nice to be good at it, but if you enjoy it and you're not good at it, then. Yeah. And, you know, I'm talking to a person who does have a fair amount of mastery of playing the guitar. I mean, you know a lot about it. You can execute quite a bit. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're some, you're maybe not you're a virtuoso, but you definitely put a lot of time and energy into practicing and learning and getting good at this. Do you feel like it detracts from the value of what you do to have somebody out there playing guitar like me who, you know, has a bunch of like <laughs> half digested, understood, you know? No, not at all. It's uh, because, you know, there is sort of natural born ability and then there's like that which can be cultivated from practice. And with me personally, I feel like I didn't have a lot of just born talent um so i had to take what i had and just practice 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 like in high school i'd practice how do you get to carnegie hall practice 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 yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like you know six seven hours a day Mm -hmm. and to this day like when i can i still practice a good amount uh when i can i don't have the time i i used to when i was in in high school but um but yeah as opposed to there are people like for example um Mark Morton uh, from Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. I saw his. In fact, there's uh, Jolly Mortos used to play with his old band, Killing Cycle. Um, and the first time I ever saw him play, it was in um, my old high school's auditorium, like at an audition for a talent show. And like they were playing the song uh, "Sun King" by the Cult. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're playing. I'm like, wow, that guitar player is really good. And then the solo came up, and the room transferred from the auditorium of my high school to, like, Hampton Coliseum. Like, and I was like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not good enough to do that, mm-hmm. but I want to get good enough to do that. Uh, now, as far as what you were saying about, you know, someone that you consider to be, quote, unquote, unskilled or whatever, you know, it, it goes back to what I was saying about just personal expression. Like, if someone is playing anything... Like, if you're playing two notes and going back and forth, but you're doing it, like, with passion, you know, I can appreciate that, mm-hmm. you know. And anyone that can appreciate authenticity would be able to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. You have a very 
positive attitude about that in general. I think there are some people who are like, I've put so much time and effort into learning to play the guitar like this. Oh. This guy's an imposter. Fuck this. He doesn't know how to play the guitar. You know? <laughs> and and I, I, I honestly, I feel like I'd so much rather, so many times I've been to see people who can really play, but I don't care about what they're playing. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then I've gone to see somebody who can barely play, but like, they get made my make me hot and bothered you yeah know, like because oh, yeah. of what they're doing together up there mm-hmm. you know guys and girls half dressed you know just you know out of tune whatever i'm like yeah. that's fucking awesome yeah you know mm-hmm. um i mean i've said that many times on here but something i keep thinking about though i about you is that you just you're never going to be in a codependent relationship of any kind mm-hmm. you know you're you'd rather be in no band than the wrong band Right, you know, right. and you and you are confident in that decision that you yeah. made many times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to just yeah. go. I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. Right, you know, and it's nothing against you or whatever, mm-hmm. but you know. Yeah, it was always um, any time that I felt like my motives were becoming impure, you know, which is it's selfish and it's it's bad because you know there were there were times where you know i was in bands that were starting to maybe kind of pick up and and get popular and you know quote unquote go somewhere Mm -hmm. um but for me it felt like well i'm not passionate about this anymore and i can't fake it yeah um and it's i'm i'm not sure that i always made the right choice about that kind of stuff but depends on what you mean by the right choice like because you got to be some fucking corporate rock (laughs) yeah character or even a corporate indie rock character yeah, but you know, I'm in so 25 years later I'm still playing in bands. Like I have a my band in Austin, uh Funeralizer. We have a couple shows coming up and it's me and Trivet and our friend Clark. And I still enjoy playing it and it's mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of it's almost kind of Richmond sounding, it's sort of mathy and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um but it's it's still a very pure expression, you know. Um and I don't think that I would still be doing it if I hadn't followed that where mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I have to enjoy doing this or I can't do it. And it, my fuse has gotten a lot slower over the years, you know, because <clears throat> even the Herm thing was less than a year, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and many other bands that I've been in and some of which I've uh, quit, like were not around for that terribly long, mm-hmm. not enough to gain traction and, get people interested and get a fan base and that kind of thing uh you know where i am now like i haven't out and out quit a band that i've started and was like an instrumental part of in like many years um i don't really i don't do that anymore because i try to make sure that i get into a good situation initially instead of like one that i'm ambivalent about well plus you know you're like you've been married for how long now uh it uh it would be from September of 2001 until uh, maybe two months ago. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's not. You're not married anymore. No. Not oh anymore. shit, man! Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, Just bumble into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well you fuck, know, dude. flip a coin. <laughs> that's still a good run. I mean, I have no idea. I've never made it more than a year, and I've kind of resigned myself that I'm just not one of those people like I can't do it I'm like that about relationships the way you've been about bands right, right. you know I just don't feel this and I can't do it you know right, and then right. I and I I almost always mourn the thing 
okay. hardcore, but I couldn't stay in it. Like, it wasn't working. I couldn't do it. This person was making me insane, or I was making them insane. Right. Plenty right. of people walked away from me, too, but, you know. <laughs> well, I'm with with that, um, and I, I recently read a book uh, by Aziz Ansari mm-hmm. about, like, Comedian. being single or something, um, which is really interesting. The most interesting thing that I found out about it was – there was, they had kind of a bar graph. I love reading things in bar graph, mm-hmm. especially when it's uh, intangibles, like mm-hmm. emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was about like the infatuation stage of um, love versus what I don't know how it's pronounced, but companionates or companionates. I don't. I don't. I've only seen mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I've never heard it. And what happens is you have this like rush of emotion in the infatuation stage of it. And that gradually declines, and there's no way around that. Like right. a year into a relationship, you're just not going to have those same chemicals firing in your mm-hmm. brain as mm-hmm. the first, you know, week or two of being in a relationship. But then this other thing starts coming up, which is your companionate or companionate um, feelings that you have for another person. Uh, and you know, this could be all relationships. I don't want to just single it down to yeah I was I think it is but, and, because and band relationships are, are very very similar you've been to the companionate thing even though it didn't it's ultimately ended right but, but you have a there. taste for that now yeah you know that that's there's this other deeper resonance that you get to after um, lust right and right. the initial like new car smell as sure. some people call it yeah um, but it gets replaced by a kind of comfort that you have with someone and a kind of trust yeah and you're there is a uh, i mean I, i've at least found my way where i've gotten past that and then i found myself like digging this person and digging us together mm-hmm. as this whole other like we're in a club together we're like yeah we're doing this thing and like there's a there are levels of security Mm-hmm. and appreciation and assumption mm-hmm. that are past the superficial and mm-hmm. you know intimacy yeah that's what they another name yeah. for it and that's something that um again it's all relationships it's it, it, it's not only in romantic relationships at all like uh friendships mm-hmm. you know the friendships that the bonds that you have with, with people and that can be intimate yeah and bands is definitely a form of intimacy Absolutely. i mean like you're gonna sit there in a room with three other people sweating and yeah. trying to play music and absolutely and you know i i hadn't seen uh the other members of jolly immortals for nine years at least and then you know we just got into a room and we're like hey how's everything going mm-hmm. and it was just like it was yesterday mm-hmm. we're just playing these songs that were written 20 plus years ago mm-hmm. uh, so that's another you know that level uh again way past the in infatuation stage yeah. or something like infatuation with the band because that's another thing like when you first start a band you're like wow we're in this band and everything's really exciting yeah. and then you know and then you play some shitty shows and yeah. you ride around the van together and you have no money <laughs> right mm-hmm. and you're like it's these guys fault yes this all sucks yeah but you know if you stick with something long enough uh it gets really good yeah it's hard to know what's worth sticking with and what isn't right but like there's this um i feel like we were touching on this earlier there's this kind of a there's kind of a faith thing mm-hmm. around that you mm-hmm. know and that okay i know why why i was thinking that is that that's what resonates with me about forrest gump now okay okay so yeah you can say that um th- those messages are sort of there mm-hmm. but what i really take away from it is this the fool who uh-huh. sticks to his principles mm-hmm. and he's just doing the right thing. Right. And many people who were seemingly a lot more 
like intelligent or sharp or on it. Yeah. They weren't guided by any deep thing, so they just came and went. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And there there isn't the message that everything's just going to work out if you're an idiot and you tr- and you believe in God. Uh-huh. But but there is a message that like if you're out there thinking that you understand all of this shit and you have all the fucking answers yeah. and you're going to put all this energy and dis- uh, uh, you know manipulating situations and protesting situations and fighting situations as if you got it all figured out and you fucking uh-huh. can put all this energy and anger and whatever into that mm-hmm. and that that's the answer you know right. that kind of will and that kind of ego mm-hmm. it's not yeah. in the long fucking run you know sticking to your principles and doing the right thing mm-hmm. you know that is even if you don't literally experience the kind of things that he did mm-hmm. where you get rich and like yeah. all of that your life is feels like that yeah much more like mm-hmm. that yeah know? and you know there is uh an element i think of the the Dao king and what you were talking about with mm-hmm. that uh and it's something that I, I i recently tried to explain to my kids about the difference between childlike and childish mm-hmm. uh you know childish is not paying your bills on time mm-hmm. childish is being late when you say you're going to be somewhere mm-hmm. you know childlike is you know seeing a piece of art that a four-year-old drew and like being impressed by it mm-hmm. and finding joy in that child the whole thing with childlike is just finding joy in things mm-hmm. um and it, having an appreciation for things whereas childishness is like throwing tantrums and always having to get your way and right kind of thing. and i think self-centered egotistical right. like it's all about me shit right so immature yes know, infantile <laughs> yeah yeah i think everyone could really benefit just from like staying with the childlike and away from the childish well it's a practice you know and yeah. i mean that's the thing that if you're aware of where that shows up in your dealings and mm-hmm. your perceptions then you can cultivate a practice that gives you other options and other choices but right. there's not any end game and there's no quick way to get there it's like right you know, practicing guitar mm-hmm. to, and, and to learn to say, Hey, you know, maybe it, I call it beginner's mind. And I think it's, that's a Buddhist term Yeah, is that you keep, you don't keep, you don't have this thing that I got it all figured out. I already know everything I need to know or yeah. whatever. And we tend to get that way when we're our age and older, Yeah, but you don't have to. Right. You yeah. can say, Hey, I'm as relevant as I fucking feel. And yeah. I, you know, I, there's no reason why I can't enjoy this stuff there's certain things that aren't going to resonate with me because i'm i'm you know i've put down the infantile yeah and some of this is the tension between you know you've done what your parents have told you to do all along now you're going to do what you want to do and there's a lot of um, extremes Mm -hmm. in there and that's the thing i'm maybe not going to relate to as much in young people's music but yeah but to be able to hear something and not be jaded and not yeah, and not yeah. to bring all of this baggage into it, to just yeah. throw the baggage overboard, throw right. the ballast overboard, mm-hmm. dig the rest of the fucking life that's available to you. Yeah. You know? And, you know, having having kids and hanging out with them has taught me a lot about that, too. Uh, in part, like, just even in terms of music, like, listening to, like, a lot of the, like, uh, pop music that they listen to. um, like before it all sounded just like our original like nothing to me but that like now that when i'm listening to the radio i often will put that on mm-hmm. um because i've i've grown to appreciate some of that stuff yeah just because i like how innocent i like how it comes from that place of innocence 
Um, and if it makes you feel that way, it's a good use of music. Yeah. You know, it yeah. doesn't all have to be like we're sitting here with our fucking pince-nez on our noses. And right. <laughs> yeah. Now, would this pass muster on Pitchfork Media? Right, you know? right, 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 right. It, it, that's okay, that shit's okay, but it's great to hear something that just makes you smile and like and, and enjoy that thing. And Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, speaking of Pitchfork, it's funny. I used to call it pitchforking when you would write a review where you're more showing off your skills as a writer than trying to... Uh, <laughs> Actually talk about the yeah. music, yeah. And I did it, you know. I'm, I, I'm you didn't do it. <laughs> I remember you didn't do it. I would no. believe you. Yeah. I, I, well, I was just feeling my oats with uh, going, okay, this isn't a college paper. Yeah. And if I want to p- put things out there, I'm going to have to just put them out there. Right. I'm just going to have to let go of this thing. I'm not going to just keep editing it and keep fucking with it until I'm no longer ashamed of it or embarrassed. I'm just going to yeah. throw it out there. Mm-hmm. And I ended up with shit that was like Lester Bang's and Hunter S. Thompson, but I'd never really read those right. guys, you know. But it was me just really trying to find my voice and, like, be, you know. But I do think that there were times where I had an axe to grind. Yeah, sure. You know, and I was grinding that axe. Yeah. And, but, um, yeah, you're, there are definitely – I mean, there's that whole – as if there's a poetics to this, mm-hmm. you know. Like, well, if, you know, there's there's this – uh, like hallowed thing that happened at CBGB's, yeah, you know, in the late seventies. There's this thing that was going on in Cleveland, mm-hmm. you know, this thing that was happening in Detroit, right? And no, it's this crazy continuum. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it didn't occur to me that like when Iggy Pop's making like Tonight with David Bowie or Lust for Life, like that okay. song, mm-hmm. Iggy Pop's from Detroit, right? Like he grew up in Motown. Yeah, that's a fucking Motown song, right. basically. Yeah, it's the Supremes or whatever, mm-hmm. and like he has every. I mean, he's putting his his ness on it, his isness uh-huh. on it. But it's very much there's not a distinct barrier between Iggy Pop doing a, a Motown song and the Stooges and all that kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. this, you know, this whole flow of his experience and like who he was and right. and what he was as a kid and. And and who he is is this character, this icon, this James Osterberg and right. mm-hmm. and Iggy Pop and all of that unironic, you know, you know, sincere yeah. <laughs> like kind yeah. of shit and you know. So we've, I think we've done it here, man. We also are like nine minutes away from two hours. Oh, great. Okay. You know, and I didn't really get to get you to sort of flesh out uh, Austin, but fuck it, this is about Richmond. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of basically the way it is there again is just supply and demand thing Mm -hmm. it's hard to get people to come out to shows like uh, and anytime that i've been in a band there and we've played out of town people are like amazed Mm -hmm. and it's just like oh i'm not used to people liking what i'm doing just Mm because you get so used to being an awesome playing in front of crowds where like oh yeah you guys are pretty good but so it's like every night is south by southwest Yeah, yeah 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 So it makes it hard. I mean, it makes it kind of cool, though, because it makes you, like, want to practice more and get better so mm-hmm. that you can try to kind of rise up above it all. But it's hard because there's just so many bands. And I don't think that people, in part, I don't think that people care as much about music as they used to. Maybe because, again, with supply and demand, like, on my phone, I can listen to any album I want. You take you know? it for granted a lot more. Right. Yeah. So And also just age. Mm-hmm. You know, like... um, 
people aren't as compelled to see musicians in their 40s as they are to see musicians in their 20s. That's just sort of natural. Depends on the kind of music it is. They aren't as interested in seeing those people play rock and roll. Right, yeah. Because it seems unseemly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, remember somebody talking about Velvet Revolver and like all that 40-year-old man flesh was yeah. kind of distasteful. Yeah. yeah. But um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I like it there. Uh, I'm, I'm not intending on moving. Mm-hmm. Um, but, what, but what was the... Can you real quick do? I mean, you don't have to. I yeah. can. This can be as long as it wants. It just gets to be better. It's better quality when it's yeah. Better, but, it, but what's the quick timeline? Like, you moved to Austin for what? For why? Like, yeah. Like, okay, so I moved to Austin. Um, a couple of the Ultimate Dragons moved down there. Right. So then I first sort of, was it Trivet and Ben went no, first. No, no, no. First it was Ben, mm-hmm. and then it was JD. But they didn't start the Ultimate Dragons again. For he was in those Peabodies. Yeah, something. he was in those Peabodies. Right? Um, and actually, the drummer of those Peabodies, Adam, I'm in a band with now called Chamberlain Green. So mm-hmm. Chamberlain Green and Funeralizer are my two main bands. And a Van Halen cover band called Running with Pinday Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they moved down there. And then I actually joined the band J Church. Um, the guy, Lance Hahn, who was the main guy in J Church, he was looking for a certain type of drum machine. So Ben White told him that I knew a thing or two about drum machines so I gave Lance my CD my homemade CD uh, with like some Boss DR 550 beats on it and Lance liked the guitar playing on it so he asked me to be in J Church so that's how I was in that band for a while and then Ultimate Dragons reformed down there because uh, JD lived there Ben lived there and I lived there Trivet was either living in Richmond or somewhere else but he didn't move down there so then what ended up happening was uh, we did Ultimate Dragons. We did some shows down there with some different drummers. But then uh, we like kind of broke up. And then Trivet was talking about how he wanted to move down to Austin. So I was like, yeah, do it. We'll start a band and stuff. So he moved down there. And I called JD and I was like, hey, guess what? Uh, Trivet's moving to Austin. And JD was like, oh, really? And then he like kind of hung up really quick. I was like, oh, that's odd. <laughs> so I'm, I guess JD called Trivet immediately and was like, let's start a band. Um, <clears throat> but that I wasn't in it. So, so, you, so this is the j- ultimate dragon sort of evolving into the sword, but, right? But it's sort of what didn't evolve. It really is a distinctly. Different yeah, the only band. difference was me, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, it didn't have me. How in come it. you didn't get to be in the sword? Well, I'm not sure. Um, Hair too short. I don't know. I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was that. I, at that point, I had two kids. I think that I want to say that that was what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, because I had two kids, I don't think I would have been able to do it because I had I had a job. I had to support my wife at the time, and I had mm-hmm. to support my kids. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's and I got kicked out of J Church because we were supposed to go on a tour to Japan. We'd already toured once Japan, and we had toured Europe, and we toured the States a couple times. Uh, but we were supposed to do another tour in Japan, but I couldn't do it because I had to work. And so they did the rest of like the European tour that I had to leave halfway through they did that like without me uh and then later they like i got kicked out of that band which is the only time i think that i've ever been kicked out of a band it was heartbreaking even though i knew i couldn't stay in the band because they wanted to keep touring and stuff Mm -hmm. but i couldn't because i had kids i couldn't take three weeks off work and what were you you doing for work at that i work at university of texas i've actually have had the same job the entire time i just like work um 
doing kind of accounting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, math. Yeah, doing math. Uh, <laughs> Can't but yeah, get so away from it. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, in around 2005 or so, like, I'd gotten kicked out of J Church and my band with, like, I wasn't in the sword because they, you know, uh, like, Trivet and I were in a band called Funeralizer and Trivet had to quit that because he was doing the sword full time. So for a good couple years, I was just in no bands and it was just a really, really depressing mm-hmm. time in my life. But then gradually I started getting back into it. Like my kids started getting a little bit older and stopped needing quite as much. Like, you know, they're not physically attached to you as much when they're, you know, four and six as opposed to when they're zero and two. And I have to say your daughters are, I, I, I don't generally care what about other people's kids or uh-huh. pay that much attention, but they're very, there's something very distinct about them. They, they're very yeah. beautiful. Yeah. You know, and they also seem to be very intelligent and very deep. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. From what, from just from what I've seen on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Well, it seems um, like worth giving up, a bu- running around with a bunch of shitheads to definitely raise definitely. Those two girls. You know? And, um, and, and their mom and I are very different. And we both bring a lot to the table that we wouldn't like if her and I were more alike, maybe we would have got along better, yeah. But we might not have brought so many different things into it. You know, to create these people. Hmm? To create these two people. Yeah, right. because you know, with her she's interested my ex wife is interested in, you know, the outdoors and mm-hmm. um and like nursing and health sciences and that kind of stuff and i'm interested in you know music and the indoors in the indoors (laughs) you know so they get both of those things so it makes them you know more well-rounded inner life and outer life and the the amorphous the dreamscape and the science Mm -hmm. and all that but you know i really at the end of the day i kind of hit a crossroads where it was like i'm either going to be a a good father or i'm going to be a musician Mm -hmm. and i couldn't you know, uh, you hear about like your Alex Lifesons that had two kids when he started Rush, but they got pretty big and pretty popular, mm-hmm. and they were able to make money off it and survive off it. But I wasn't able to do that, so it was like, well, it's either one thing or the other. Like you cannot serve two masters. Yeah. So I chose to raise my kids. I think that's from where I'm standing now. I far more envy that that uh-huh. you have these two daughters than any fucking record or band or tour that you could have done and it's not yeah. to devalue that stuff it's just that's what i mean i i do envy that i mean i wish yeah. i i wish i had a couple of kids and all that i i, I don't envy the fact that you know there's a some woman that you <laughs> aren't <laughs> with anymore that you have to deal with yeah yeah <laughs> but, uh, uh, well you know th- it's always there's always a balance to it. I mean, yeah. there's always, the grass is always greener. You know, sometimes the grass isn't all that green on one side. But no, it really is. With uh, It's all a matter of fucking perspective and perception. And But, uh, well, thanks for, for um, coming over. And I'm yeah. really glad you got me, I mean, because I haven't done this in a while. And it's really mm-hmm. fun to do it again and remember why I like doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I've been looking forward to, to being on this for... Mm-hmm years you know yeah. you've been doing it for a while and i was like man i want to be on that i'm so glad you came and and uh i look forward to posting it and i will try to get a quick turnaround on that so we can get some people yeah and keep doing them <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i'll keep you. listening all right thanks well that was a nice conversation there and i um 
I hope to do more of these. I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I enjoy doing this. I got people I've talked to about it. They've said they'll do it. It's just, uh, I think I need help. I mean, besides the obvious kinds of help, I need somebody to come on and partner with me in this thing. That's kind of loud. Somebody who can book the guests. Twiddle the knobs. Because all of that stuff, I mean, I don't have any problem with running my mouth and just having the conversation, as is quite evident, but the, all the other stuff, just, it's such a, it's just a hassle. I think I just need somebody like a roadie to come over here and just set everything up, and I'll, all I have to do is sit in a chair and start talking, have somebody come over, they already here, somebody get us water, some coffee, set it up. It's probably not going to happen. Well, if you guys give a shit one way or the other, um, this is just how it's going to go. Occasionally, there will be a new tantric conversation. and Maybe it will be a long period of time before there's another one. It's not because it's a failure. It's not because I don't like doing it. It's just, you know, at the age I'm at, I'm just um, I'm a lot more focused on my jobity job type job and the money that goes with that. And um, unless I unless something drastic happens, that's just going to be how it is. And then maybe I'll just... I'll find some time in there to do this. So that's just how it is. It'll, it's like throttle in the final days. It just appeared every now and then. You never knew when. But I'm sure you're fine with that. There's lots of other podcasts to listen to. And uh, it'll be around when it's around. I'll do it when I do it. And until next time, namaste, motherfucker.